Good evening, everybody. I'm just going to give a few seconds for people to be able to join in and then we'll get going. Okay, that's great. Starting to see people join now. Good evening, everybody, and thank you very much for joining us on this Wednesday evening for the 43rd episode of Words on Whiskey, brought to you by Irish Whiskey Magazine. This uh, week, we have a, a very special guest and friend, friend of mine and friend of the magazine and friend of the show and general all-around good guy, Stephen McGuinness. So if anybody's not familiar with Stephen, we'll... we'll get a good dive into what Stephen's all about. But certainly he's been a fantastic asset and a great friend to the Irish whiskey community and is always saying important things that sometimes the industry doesn't always listen to, but uh, we'll get his opinion on some of those things during the show. So just to say that... We'll be taking a little bit of a break from the normal running of the show over the next five weeks, but we'll fill in with those details tomorrow. So we're, we're taking part in something rather exciting, and I'm really looking forward to it, but we'll let you know what that is uh, what that is next week. So I suppose the best thing to do is really bring our friend in and uh, have a chat. Good evening, Stephen. How are you? Not too bad, thanks. Very nice things. Not well. too bad. I'm well, thank you. Yourself? Yeah, all good. Uh, all good. Keeping safe and well. Yeah. Probably, uh, yeah. No, all good. Can't complain. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, we don't see you on podcasts or social media very often, so thank you very much for, yeah, for giving us a shot at it. Yeah, I probably get a lot of criticism. I don't, if, if I'm honest, I don't really like doing them. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's probably one of those things. I don't actually consider myself that much of an interesting guy. I don't really do an awful lot outside of a few different sports and a bit of a whiskey nerd. So yeah, it's a it's something a it's it's something I don't really do that often. So uh, yeah. you're either lucky or very unlucky. Uh, well, we'll lucky. You've always, you've always been you've always been overly modest and uh, self-deprecating, and I suppose that's one of your your strong points. I suppose, if you like, but uh, yes, okay, this, that shouldn't be I self-deprecating. Would. It's yourself. Yeah, I wouldn't say there'd be many people in my family or close connections <laughs> say I'd be modest, but yeah, <laughs> maybe in the maybe in the whiskey world. Well, look, I mean, I've known you since uh, I suppose I, I started getting really deep into whiskey, and it must be 12, 15 years now at this stage. So. I mean, you're a young, you're still a young man, but you started very young as well. What was, what was it that sparked your interest in, in whiskey, or was it, was it something deliberate that you decided to get into the whiskey game? It, not really. Like no one, in, no one in my family drinks whiskey. My older brother would drink whiskey when you could probably say it's a it's a northern thing when he's allowed to drink whiskey, or yeah. when the wife isn't around, <laughs> he would drink whiskey. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it was no one, like no one in my family drank whiskey. No. My granddad uh, was a big whiskey drinker. He was a he was a Bushmills and Powers fan, but mainly a Powers fan. When the uh, was a when the English bought Bushmills, he uh, <laughs> he transferred to Powers. So right, yeah, okay. he, <laughs> uh, the rest of his the rest of his life, he uh, he would have he would have drank a uh, he would have drank Powers. But yeah, it was for me. It was it was more of a job. Uh, yeah, and. 
kind of paid the rent for a while, and but it was something that I ended up getting into, yeah. which was. Yeah. So you're from you're from uh, up north, uh, not far outside Belfast, are you? Yeah, it's only about twenty five minutes from Belfast, so kind of it's big enough town. It's as big as. Is it Lurgan? You're from. Yeah, so Lurgan, it's a quite a so it's a kind of it, it would be a big town, kind of a. a Industrial town, so there'll be a lot of factories, a lot of banks, a lot of bookies, a lot of pubs, yeah. <laughs> every every everything you'd want in, the, the in, one, in one in one town. Yeah, so yeah. yeah, I come I come from Bergen, which isn't Armagh, so it's not too far from from Belfast. Uh, yeah, so and what brought you to, what brought you into the whiskey industry was was Celtic Whiskey Shop your first inkling into? Yeah, yeah it was a. So when I was 20, at the time, is I started Celtic Whiskey Shop in 2010. And I moved to Dublin in 2010 from, from Lurgan. And if you can think 2010, how bad Dublin was suffering, you can only, uh, you can only imagine how, how bad a kind of industrial town that was pretty much built on uh, processing factories and uh, builders. You can only imagine how, how bad a small town like that was hit. So for me, it was... Uh, it was either stay there and work in yeah. a factory, which, which probably I didn't really want to do, or move to Dublin and try to do something. And did you move uh, to Dublin for this role here in Celtic? No, no. I, my uncle lived in Dublin at the time, so it was it was quite an easy it was quite an easy move because I had family in Dublin, which was which was quite good. Uh, but then I applied for Celtic Whiskey Shop and uh, went for a few interviews with Ali. A couple of months later, he finally came back to me. Uh, and it was actually quite a misfortune that that happened. That one of the main people within the shop at the time was a guy called Seamus. Uh, he he went in for a heart bypass, and ever from there, it was kind of like I was the fortunate person of his misfortune that uh, I started working within within Celtic. And at the time, Seamus was quite uh, he looked after a lot of the, like a lot of people don't realize there's probably three sides to. Celtic whiskey shop, maybe four sites now, with the introduction of a strong uh, e-commerce, uh, how it's grown within the within the alcohol world. But at the time, it would have been whiskey retail, wine retail, and whiskey and wine wholesale. So they would have supplied wine to wine and whiskey to pretty much nearly every single top bar and top five star hotel, top restaurant within the country. Yeah. Where Seamus was pretty much in charge of running that side of the business. Uh, so when he went out, my it was kind of pretty much that I was going to go in and do his role. And it was it was flagged quite early that it's probably not a role for someone uh, someone like of 20 years of age. It's not yeah. a role for them. So I then went into work within the in the whiskey team. And at the time it was it was a it was quite a good team there when when I first started. It was a but it was a team that probably they didn't want to be there anymore or they probably didn't want to work in the alcohol industry anymore. And I worked with a, a guy called Derek Pierce, a good friend. And yeah. even though he'd still be a good friend, a uh, 10 years later and probably haven't worked with him in six years. Uh, right. But he, he was a guy that pretty much went in. He pretty much took me under his wing in a way. And he's a kind of big, big Scotch lad. Uh, yeah. So it was either one of those ones, you either done it or, I always done it because I didn't want to know what the second option was. Right. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, then there was uh, Michael Lawler who was floating. 
think still yeah. floating around the industry. And there's another guy called Derek Conley, his brother owns Baggage Street Wines. And obviously yeah. Al Higgins is still within Celtic. So the team the team was quite good, but I was kind of the first of I was of the new brigade that that, that came into Celtic. So yeah, I you started there. Time though as well. I mean the boom, if you like, pretty much coincided with you starting there, or the, or maybe not the boom. It was pre-boom, I think. But yeah, like uh, I think you could probably say Ali's a bit like myself in a way, is that he wouldn't be one for the limelight or to do these no. type of things. It's not, it's it's not a style, and and to be honest, I probably wouldn't say I'd be as bad as Ali had it in a way, but he, he kind of keeps himself to himself and that's, he's very young family and when you're in the whiskey industry, you could have something to do every single night. So it comes to the stage that when when you do your nine to five and you go home and sometimes in his case it's eight to eight, most days it's the time he needs is, is for his family. So when uh, within that, it was like going into that team is, yeah, like everyone was probably Minimum twenty years older than me. I was started there, a, there when I was twenty. Was there a buzz? Because I mean, I don't think we can underplay in any way the significant role that Celtic whiskey shop had to play within the resurgence, if you like, of Irish whiskey in terms of an outlet even for people to meet and to go and learn and to to go and purchase whiskies that weren't typical on the shelf whiskies. I mean, it, yeah. it was very much a focal point. Yeah, I don't. Like it's something that I just can't get my head around. There's a lot of there's a lot of people in the industry now who don't realise what Celtic done for the industry. Like Celtic whiskey shop single-handedly created premium whiskey. They created a platform to sell premium Irish whiskey. Irish premium Irish whiskey wasn't sold. Uh, yeah. you, obviously, you had like it's probably a wrong to say that it wasn't sold, but it wasn't. It wasn't. There was six or seven premium products at the time. You you had Jameson eighteen. You had Bushmills twenty one. Yeah. They and you had Middleton very rare. They they were pretty much the premium products of of the of that era. And you obviously you had your stalemates of a Powers 12-year-old, Redbreast 12-year-old, and Jemson 12-year-old. But Celtic gave a platform for even companies like who I work for now and all the companies that I've worked for to actually sell premium products. So yeah, I think I think now obviously when the industry has grown to what it is now and where there's premium products everywhere, I don't think Celtic probably gets the credit it does deserve for what it what it did do. It was something that, for me, it, it does kind of like places like Celtic, and there's there's a lot of places like Palace Bar is another one that great great a uh, great whiskey a uh, it's great whiskey bar to go to. But there's a lot of great whiskey bars around the country, and they probably in today's world they don't get the credit. But yeah, definitely Celtic is one of those ones that, and like even in my younger days, I always remember any new distillery coming on board, a any new whiskey distillery coming on board. Like the first order, first place you go is Celtic, and in fairness, yeah. Ali, most of the times you would always pay it up front and written a check straight away for anyone because he knew that in his days in two thousand and three, opening up an Irish whiskey shop in, in Dublin, there wasn't a there wasn't much opportunity to yeah. do it. So he always realised how much he struggled, and that, that was something that he always tried to do. Obviously, the business is a lot bigger now. Yeah, sure. I mean. Yeah, and he has to, you know, moved into casks as well, and, and and various different programs and the tastings. But when you were there, was there the air of excitement or the air that Irish whiskey was going somewhere? Uh, 
That's a, it's a tricky one. Yes and no. Uh, internationally, no. Right. In terms of you, internationally, people knew a lot about whiskey, but they were coming in and they were looking Scottish whiskey. Uh, they weren't coming in. They, were, they weren't really looking Irish whiskey. Like, I always remember, like, there's the big thing at the moment you hear of the cast strength crusade and people looking cast strength whiskeys. Yeah. In 2010, and I'll be yeah. perfectly honest with you, probably even now, the only yeah. time you ever sold or it was only pretty much one cast strength whiskey on the shelf that was affordable and it was Redbreast 12 cast strength. The only time you ever sold a Redbreast 12 cast strength was when someone mistakenly sold it as a 12-year-old Redbreast. <laughs> by, by mistake, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it was there wasn't a there wasn't a demand for cast strength whiskies uh, in, in in that era, but there also wasn't the consumer wasn't the there either. Yeah. Yeah, like the consumer wasn't there to I remember when I think when I first started the there used to be as much craft beer in Celtic whiskey shop as there was Irish whiskey. And yeah. I think as well, like the, the other side of Celtic whiskey shop that it probably doesn't get credit for. It has as much Scottish whiskey as some of the best Scottish whiskey shops in the world. Absolutely. I mean, he's, yeah. Like he's a like Ali was the first importer in Ireland for Bowmore, like Morrison Bowmore, Suntory. They imported like imported Yamazaki before I can even I can't remember. Like this probably sums up the buzz of a what whiskey was when I started Celtic Whiskey Shop. The staff price, I think the shelf price was like ninety euros, and the staff price was like seventy five euros. Right for okay. a bottle for a bottle for a bottle of Yamazaki eighteen. Yeah, and now it's fetching these over five hundred. Yeah, yeah, like these things consistently retail now for five hundred quid, and again that that wasn't that long ago when you think of it. It's not no, like it's not. 10, 15, 20 years away. It was like this was six, seven years ago. Yeah. Well, I know you're an avid collector as well. And you, you've always given good yeah. advice in terms of collecting. What do you make of the collecting scene now and the price of some of the whiskeys out there? Yeah, it's, I guess it's a difficult one to say. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, a, it's a tough one because the, like, even when the boxes arrive, it's like, if they arrived to my parents' house or they arrived in Dublin, there's just people looking at me as if, like, what are you doing? But, yeah, yeah like, for me, whiskey collecting is, I like I like anything that you can get an edge on. Yeah. And it's it's probably competitiveness. I'd be quite competitive with anything I do. If I do something, I probably have to give it 110, 120%. So, yeah, it's, it's something that that's where the likes of whiskey, even kind of going back to when I started Celtic Whiskey Shop, there was a lot of, big personalities within Celtic Whiskey Shop at the time and they didn't really want a kind of scruffy Arma lad coming in trying <laughs> to do something within the whiskey world and uh, in Dublin where he's probably not really from so there was a there's a lot for me was kind of you learned quick or you fell by the wayside and I, I probably did learn quite quick which was well you did quicker. I mean you certainly did I mean and it really stands to I think because you know, anybody that has a conversation with you and they mention any particular whiskey at all, you know, you you usually come back with the answer, what batch number or whatever, you know, you know mm. it at that level of detail that, uh, was that a conscious yeah. thing to go and learn all these and, and really do a lot of research into all the different yeah, brands? Like, yeah, like, and again, when you work with, like, when you work with big personalities in anywhere, it's, you're probably embarrassed into learning quite quick because yeah. there was that kind of, big ego coming over the top of you telling you when you were wrong 
And yeah. there's only so many times when you have a competitive personality that it's like, right, I actually have to go one thing. And I, I actually got quite lucky because when I was, it was about 2011, 2011, 2012, I was in Celtic, which about 18 months and Ali really kind of took me under his wing within the kind of tasting. So like I was like, I think of, if you think of tasting clubs now, like the yeah. tastings we done in Celtic Whiskey Shop back in the day was unheard of. Like the the first ever, like it mightn't have been the first, but it was probably the most high profile red breast tasting where you had red breasts from the 60s, 70s, 80s, right up through to the new ones. Jemison were, you had Jemison tastings of, you were putting 1920s bottles out. The yeah. Middleton single cask tastings where there was kind of five or six Middleton single casks on the on the uh, Celtic Whiskey Shop had released. So, Ali kind of he he gave me the probably the time and probably too much time and too much faith, too much trust in a way to to do these tastings and uh, and the good thing as well is most of them I was doing them alongside him, so you're kind of yeah. learning for someone that's been in the industry thirty odd years and suppose he probably go mad well, the he's been in the industry thirty odd years, uh, highlighting his age. Yeah, yeah, well, Ali's a young man. Ali's a young. Yeah. The other thing that I think that really stands to you is that your your knowledge isn't limited to Irish whiskey, and you know you know as much about the Scotch and the Bourbons and the Japanese uh, as the Irish. Yeah, it's it's something that within and actually seen Mark McLaughlin's on, and Mark alluded to it last week is that the reason why, like, if you think of the people I've worked with in Celtic over the years, like. Mark, when the kind of the new team that came in through Celtic Whiskey Shop and kind of the older generation had left and Ali had got kind of fresh young blood in that was going to bring the shop to probably the next level yeah. in terms of when things were reopening, there was more money floating around Dublin. There was a lot more tourism in Dublin. There was a lot richer people. There was a lot of celebrities coming through the door Celtic Whiskey Shop that could spend money that you could only yeah. dream of ever accumulating in your life. A, and yeah so there was there was a thing that Ali put a lot of faith in those staff but he invested a lot of money in them like I've been to I'd say over 70 distilleries around the world probably 50 in Scotland done 6 or 7 in, in America done I've probably done more distilleries outside of Ireland more, more distilleries Ireland. Than, uh, than race courses yeah obviously probably. yeah say, uh, yeah. Racing is a yeah. Race courses are good, but uh, sometimes they're not really educational. <laughs> no, no, no. But uh, yeah. well, look, I mean, I, I remember you were there, and I remember you had the option to the opportunity to leave, and I know it was a difficult decision for you. Um, what, what was it that what was it that made you t- take on a new role somewhere else? Yeah, a. Uh, Say probably it's probably a few different things. I'd say Ollie wanted rid of me. <laughs> uh, I'd say because it was the option, the opportunity as well to like. And again, I'd be quite like I would be competitive and I'd be quite uh, career driven as well. And the things I do is um, uh, most things I do in life is quite calculated. Uh, right. Like you wouldn't think so. Uh, yeah. Yeah. To find a wood I haven't probably I haven't made a bad decision yet and career-wise, but yeah, it was, like, I actually, I sat down with Ali and I just said, listen, there's an opportunity to come up to work with Bean within Byron Fitzwilliam, who you're 
the biggest distributor in the Republic of Ireland and like some of the best brands you could imagine yeah. are within within their portfolio and and at the time all he said listen it's it's probably a good move and so in fairness to him he 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 took his uh, Celtic whiskey shop hat off being the managing director of the company he yeah. probably maybe my ego was a bit big here but he probably knew there was a education piece leaving the business but uh, it was for probably the better of of my career and uh, yeah and it's probably it's probably a good thing because since I left we've probably become better friends <laughs> right. than we oh, were well, yeah it's yeah. like separated like separated couples become good pals afterwards but... <laughs> yeah it was it was a I wouldn't, I wouldn't go that far now but yeah it's probably it's a every, every, everywhere I've went he's a he's a, he's probably still supported the company I work with so yeah I left there and I went to a company called Barry and Fitzwilliam so they're a car wholesale company and it's probably wrong just to say they're a car wholesale company but they are the biggest distributor and they formed in the 1980s there was a two quite influential drinks guys a guy called Michael Barry and another yeah. guy called Chris Murphy and uh, Chris Murphy owned Fitzwilliam Wines and Michael Barry owned uh, Barry's Wine and Wholesalers in Cork and uh, I tell you, at the time uh, Chris had a lot of high profile brands and but he also had a lot of high profile customers but yeah. Michael had Michael had the vision of being a big wholesaler at the time so we had all the infrastructure in place he had the bonded warehouse which is Quite difficult to get, so they uh, both of them, both of them, a uh, set up, set up a Baron Fitzwilliam, and like over the years, and when I sat down with the guys, he, he uh, I remember going in, and it was the time John Cashman had rang me, and I, and in fairness, I didn't really know John that well at the time, but I knew him just through Celtic Whiskey Shop, and he rang me, he said, "Listen, there's an opportunity to work with." A, being Centauri within Barry and Fitzwilliam and I, uh, I sat down and chatted with the lads and the first thing they asked uh, first thing Michael and, and another guy Kevin who I worked with uh, asked like I said pretty much like where, where am I growing in here I just don't want to work with you have all these amazing brands and, and they did over the kind of four or five years I was there yeah. I worked with McAllen, Dalmore, Highland Park uh, obviously all the bean products Lafroig all Bomar. the Japanese products, Bowmore, Akintoshin, yeah. obviously Cooley brands in Kilbegan, Turconnell. Uh, yeah. But then even bigger brands were, like another brands where I probably learned a hell of a lot more about, about the industry and like brands like Brewdog, Jagermeister. I mean, it's yeah. just not, it's probably, it's something that we don't, for someone like me, it was, at the time when I went there, it was like my whole, I went in. I started off as a brand ambassador, and I went in to just work with bean brands. But time I left, it was it was a hell of a lot more than that. And yeah. for me, it was I needed to kind of carve out a career. And I was I remember looking at the industry, and it was just like the industry at the time was the toss of a coin: is this going to work, or isn't it going to work? Is this investment going to pay off within yeah. the, what's happening in the industry, or isn't it? And for me, within the kind of brand ambassador, a it, it probably wasn't a job that was ever going to fulfill what I wanted to do. Like it's a very difficult job to do. It's late nights, a lot of alcohol. Now the other side, nobody forces you to drink alcohol, but you're in that environment 24 seven. And it's, it's not something that when you get to my age now, 30, where it's you. Did it take its toll, Stephen? I mean, do those late nights, because we talk about brand ambassadors and um, we see the kind of the romantic, the exciting, the intriguing part of what we think their role is. But you know, 
tr- trolling home after a tasting at twelve o'clock at night, you know, it's, it, and then getting up early again, it's, it's not yeah. a, an easy life. Yeah, like I, I'd say, in the kind of three years I was in Baron Fitzwilliam, or sorry, three years I was kind of working as a brand ambassador. But in the five years, in the five years in total, I was there. Yeah, I'd say I stayed in five hundred different hotels. Wow, wow! And it was every every single week you were away three nights a week, and and that was like that was a credit to Baron Fitzwilliam as well, is that and a credit to their sales staff who. You constantly had me in their areas. It was like if you were in Dingle, like pretty much that it started off. Left Dublin, probably went to Clarny one night, went to Dingle, went to Clarny on say a Tuesday night, went to Dingle on a Wednesday night, ended up in Cork on a Thursday night, made your way back home on a Friday. And the following week, you could have been in Galway, you could have been in Tomeo, somewhere else. And, and it was pretty much all here. So it's one of those ones that say it was great for kind of after. I, I work with quite a quite a good guy called Kevin O'Malley, who was the commercial director within within Byron Fitzwilliam. He was he was kind of the guy that I for me it was I looked up to him as as much as I would look up to say someone like Ali. Because yeah. he was a guy where I actually looked at him and said, right, that's the type of role where I want to go to. I want to some somewhere along the lines become a commercial director for one of these big enough sales companies or one of these big enough companies. And I kind of want to get away from this lifestyle of just constantly drinking and not not really it's it, it, what you said does it does it wear away at you it does yeah. the like the fun part of it goes away because it just becomes a chore and it becomes very monotonous of another night away from your friends your family uh, yeah, I'm, sure yeah. there are, I'm sure there are good nights and bad nights like in any like in any role but you know no, here, are, they're the brands, all... are the brands doing enough to protect brand ambassadors Hey, this is obviously this is a question that uh, probably a <laughs> uh, being live, you probably can't really be as oh, no, I will to be honest, I will be honest. This I I don't think they are. And, and that's yeah. that's my I, I don't agree with the system that we have on brand ambassadors that we just throw a 20-year-old or 21-year-old kid into America, give them 30 grand on a credit card and just get them to go from pub to pub to buy drinks. Yeah. Uh, like that that put aside most of these brand ambassadors do come back and like one of my good friends uh, Michael Cowman uh, yeah. is, is doing quite well in the industry but there's a lot of people that come back uh, there's a lot of people that come back and have done incredible jobs uh, within the industry but yeah I don't I don't think yeah our scene is 30 I, I don't look at <laughs> uh, I don't feel it either uh, yeah but it's a uh, yeah, I don't. To be honest, I don't want to criticize it because it's it's a vital part to what this industry is, and they're they're very very important people within yeah. within the Irish whiskey industry because they're like every single brand ambassador out on the ground are foot soldiers for our industry, and they do more for the industry than they probably get credit for doing. They're actually out yeah. there talking about about the brands twenty four seven, but I, I just wish they're probably. There probably was a little bit more protection. Uh, there probably was a bit more protection for them when they're in these markets. There's no one, uh, from from what I see now, I could be completely wrong, uh, but I'm not. I'd like to think it's, it's changing, Stephen. Yeah. I'd like to think it's changing and that the welfare of brand ambassadors is coming more to the fore. But I can, I know in the early days, certainly, it was 
like you said, 500 hotels is a lot. Yeah, and it's like well, I think like I don't think that's a like I don't think that's like that's just what my job was. I mean, it was it was yeah. something that when you're a, it's not like that's not. I, I don't consider that's a brand ambassador. I consider that's more just working in a commercial role. Like a lot of people who work for Andrex or Kellogg's are are in the same thing. They're not. They're not. Thing, but I just think when you're a 21 year old put into yeah. a market away away from your friends, away from your family dumped in and uh, yeah given a credit card to go unlimited uh, yeah I don't like I don't think that's I re- sometimes it just doesn't sit with me yeah well there's a fair question from Liam hi Liam good evening um you know what would you change about the the brand roles of <sighs> a brand ambassador role a it's a tough one because there isn't enough jobs within the industry to to actually turn and say, right, let's bring in a brand ambassadors and we'll actually give every single one of them a job. Yeah. Uh, there, there isn't enough jobs domestically and definitely within like the companies, like the ones I've worked with, are, there isn't a... But I think like a brand ambassador role should be more of a... There should be a career at the end of it and there's, there should be something in it. A, there there's a, there there's needs a, to be... And uh, Alan... And he's yeah, like his thoughts there, you know. Yeah, like there's like this. I'm not I'm whatever. Like I'm a whole man. I'm not criticizing brand ambassadors. I think they're the best people in the industry. It's the toughest job you'll ever do in the industry. Yeah. You actually, and it's you actually for someone with a very grumpy head on them like me, it's it's quite a different. Like if you look at Sir Kennedy there, who works with in a Belfast selling company with McConnell's, like there. Like, she's fantastic. There's another girl in the north, Lauren, uh, who works yeah. with Bushmills. Like they're incredible, and they're constantly they're constantly out there, uh, positive, and they're incredible at what they do. And you can see that when the passion for what they do is yeah. is just amazing. So there's and like, even if you look at our our own unofficial brand ambassador in Jareth, like the yeah. guy, the like the passion that this guy has is just incredible for for the brand. So like, don't I'm not saying that brand ambassadors are or bad in any way. I think it was just saying. No, but just say they I could be looked after better, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. No, I just think that it's. I just think it's a very difficult place to be as a twenty-one-year-old sent to America with a credit card. It, it sounds yeah. fun. Yeah. But when you do that for seven hundred and thirty days straight, how fun yeah. does it become? Uh, where, where does it end up? The first first thing I was told when I walked into walked into the uh, alcohol industry was that. You're dealing with a medicine. If you abuse yeah. it, you'll never work in the industry again. Well, that was it. something that it was always it was always told to me that listen, this this is what it is. It's a drug. It's not yeah. so it can be it can be difficult. But uh, on the plus side, of course, and if you do manage to maintain yourself well and they are looked after well, I think you know it's an excellent stepping stone into developing your career. And obviously, you benefit from that as well. And. Yeah, no, like I did, but for me it was a like I got the exposure to to do it, and I worked in great companies. And for me, it was about it was about what's what's the next what's the next step. And for me, it, it was a it was to get out of a it was to get out of being within that brand ambassadorial role and going into a and going into a more commercial sales driven role. And that's and for me, that's where it was my my good mate there. Michael Martin, it's not the Taoiseach. shock. <laughs> <So, laughs> he must yeah. he must be looking he's, he must owe money or something. 
He's got well, over compliments ago. Well, uh, there were the people that, that made those comments, Stephen. I mean, uh, and I, I know you're you're very modest, but I mean that people do high, hold you in very high esteem, and they, yeah. they they appreciate your knowledge for sure, and you've always been very generous with it. But tell me. You starting in your career and you developing your career, who were the key figureheads that you looked up to in the industry? Hey, people I looked up to. And influencers, yeah. Yeah, like, there's obviously there's, for me, there's, there's people, like John Quinn, for instance, He's he's been in the industry such a long time and, like, there's no one knows the industry better than John Quinn does. He's, like, the guy's kind of pretty much a, a he is. An institution. Uh, yeah, he is. He epitomizes what the the industry is. Uh, at the time, it's quite difficult because when I get into the industry, it was completely different. Uh, yeah, probably people now who it's probably an easier question to be asked now. Who do I look up to? Well, it's yeah. the likes of people like when I made like even to I made a conscious decision to move back to the to the north like obviously I still live in Dublin but go back to working for a distillery in the north and there's people like Billy Layton who the guy's just an absolute genius like he's like if, even if you just look at Middleton in total like if Kevin O'Garman who's now their new master distiller but this guy just transformed what Irish whiskey was yeah. uh, what what he's done over the years like he's the, people like him will and it's probably wrong to say but now he's a massive distiller in Middleton. I actually think his role previous was more important to the success of Middleton than what. But well, he's still maintaining that, of course. He's still yeah, maintaining yeah. The, the guy, that role as the well. Guy, the guy's a genius. Like, there's no yeah. like the, all the masters in, in Middleton are are just incredible. Like Billy Layton, and you've seen Dave McCabe now coming through. Like, I can remember doing a, an academy with Dave McCabe a few years yeah. ago, and if you look at him now, the guy is he's just he's excelling through. He's just oh, uh, excelling through the industry. Sure. At, yeah, it's yeah. such a fast rate, but he deserves every bit of it because the work he puts in. But yeah, like the likes of the likes of someone like Billy Layton is, is someone who I would I would really look up to. And like I hope in thirty or forty years' time, when I'm, it's time to retire, that if it was half as successful as him. I'd be I'd be doing well. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. you mentioned there that you, the industry has changed phenomenally since when you started. What are the three most significant changes that you've noticed? Uh, it, it's a, this probably contradicts what when I say premiumization, yeah, and the, the influx of premium, the premium products being introduced to the market. For what a the success of Jamison has been incredible. So to to Irish whiskey globally, of Jamison is in 140 markets. That's it's it's absolutely incredible because there's 140 markets that Irish whiskey's in, and there's 140 markets that we can piggyback off the back of of yeah. Jemison's success and get into the and get into a to get into get into the whiskey industry and yeah. a or to get into international whiskey markets and to get into so like for that. But then if we if we think of that as a trend, as premiumization, is it is it a trend? When we, mm. because if you think of what Irish whiskey global sales are, if you think of the top three selling brands in yeah. Jemison, Tullamore Dew, and Bushmills, either all of it or a large percentage of it is made in one distillery. If we go to 
the next biggest selling brands by uh, Dublin UFC fire. Yeah. I mean, it's all nearly all of it is made within that one distillery again. Then you go further down to Kilbegan is obviously all made in a is all made in Cooley. Then you go to the next two Paddy and Powers, which is all made in that one distillery. Yeah. But then if you so if you think of there, like if I asked you the question, what is the top five most famous Irish brands? If you were if you went into a pub in Spain, you went into a pub in California, you went into a pub in Moscow. Yeah. What what would be the top five brands you think they would say? Well, look, is... the, the majority of them are going to come from Middleton, of course, and, and and then you have two or three others. Yeah. So would you say would you say Jamison, Bursmills, Tullamore Jew, Pars, and Paddy? Yeah, they would be the five that would come to to mind. Yeah. Would then name be... the top name name the top five Scottish brands, the most famous brands. Would you go Burglady, McAllen, Dalmore, Lagavulin, Lafroy? Highland Park. Yeah. So what's the difference between them? Uh, price. <laughs> uh, like for me, the thing is one is one is blended whiskey. And in Ireland we we make blended whiskey and we promote blended whiskey. Yeah. In Scotland, they pretty much make everyone makes blended whiskey. Like most of the sales are blended whiskey, but they promote sure. premium single malt whiskey. So if you think of a for us as even within a Acklandville at the moment and like all the other cities you've seen, Dahi was there and a like a good friend and David and, and Sharkross, like we all make premium whiskey. So until premium whiskey is starts to dominate in all these other markets, instead of two or three markets globally, then it's very hard for us all to grow because the reason the industry has grown is off cheaper blended whiskey. Yeah, and but, it, but does that not mean? Does that not mean that the at that level there are more opportunities to come in at the the lower cost blended whiskies? But we so there's more opportunities for us to go into the lower cost. Well, yeah, the, the, all the new distilleries. I mean, the, the vast majority of new distilleries now are coming in with a premium product. Yeah, but we can't. We don't have huge rectifying column stills that we can put out two million yeah, so LPI that, a year of cheap grain. I mean, yeah. But then the, the products that most of us make are pot stills are so small that we can't actually produce enough liquid to a cheap enough to actually compete with these guys. But then the other side is that we don't have tens of millions that to invest in actually getting our products side by side. And it's a like Jameson have done like an incredible job. Like what, what yeah. they have done for the Irish whiskey industry is, is next to none. They're they're just sensational of at what they have done. A, yeah. But yeah, we need like for me, we need probably more. Is there more collaboration need... required between distilleries in the sense that, you know, there's not very, there's very few distilleries, if you like, providing grain for others so that they can enter the the cheaper blended market? Yeah, I don't like, I don't think grain is the problem. Like, grain, right. like the, like the, the grain that's in the market, there's, there's going to be so much grain. Yeah. Hey, that's out there. The grain isn't a problem. It's it's the malt is the problem, and it's a five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, right up to twenty year old malt. But there's yeah. a problem, and there's there's limited people with supply contracts, yeah. like limited people, like you kind of one hand. So for us to buy whiskey, we don't have a supply contract, so we we have to buy whiskey from a. So we don't have like a supply contract to get twenty thousand LPA of twenty year old whiskey a year. Yeah. Hey, so of, you- 
20 year old single malt so like we have to buy it from calling favors from friends and within the industry to try and buy so when we're buying it it's it's third fourth fifth hand but there's yeah. third fourth fifth margins in it as well so the price of premium products that we want to release is so much higher than what they should be well uh, can i play so- devil, can i play devil's advocate on that because some people will say look you set up a distillery you set up a brand you go into the business knowing that there are limited supplies and this is what the market is. Now, I am playing devil's advocate here. It's not necessarily something I agree with. I mean, is there an argument that says, well, you know, you're investing, do your homework, do your research and make sure you can get the supply of what you need? No, definitely. Like 100%. A, but nobody thought there was going to, 10 years ago, there was going to be nearly 40 distilleries in Ireland. Yeah. You know, <laughs> but, 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 what I'm saying is, you know, there were three or five or six yeah, or whatever ten years ago, and now there's thirty. I mean, should these thirty new distilleries not have done better homework and and yeah, but, found out that? But nobody, in fairness, in fairness, search, nobody nobody sets up a distillery to buy third party liquid. The thing is, to, is to release them. For us, it's a it's about a it's about us producing or getting liquid for Dunvals. Why we were yeah. always a we will always have Acklandville as, as Acklandville. But again, as like as Dahi said, there's probably 200 brands looking for limited stock. No, I, mean, I, I, I understand the that. Is, like, the, the, like and you're, you're 100% right in playing devil's advocate. But again, when you, if you have one pint of water and 200 people need it to live, I mean, how, no, exactly. how, much, how, how much can you charge for that one pint of water? It becomes a yeah. bit more, but it becomes a very much unrealistic bit more. Well, I mean, the other side of it, the the side I see of it is, you know, we're trying to lift the whole sector here rather than necessarily particular brands. And lifting the whole sector Mm. means support for for everybody, which means ensuring that they do have supply of stock that they can function in. That's the other flip side of the coin, of course. So, look, I mean, you can take both views on it and and neither is necessarily wrong or right. Uh, As a whiskey Mm. lover, I'd love to ensure that... uh, Every distillery has availability of stock that they can go and progress and get to the point where they produce their own grain or their own uh, sufficient stock to be able to to go to market. Yeah, and it's okay. Obviously, now with the new rules and Japanese whiskey changing, yeah. Uh, hopefully, hopefully that will free up liquid where um, prices will somewhere in a few years become modest again. Uh, but yeah, there's like here, it's a business as well. We know well, that. Look, I mean, it's, these it's are not... the growing pains, I think, the growing pains of a fast-growing industry. And that's mm-hmm. that's just one of them. And I think we'll adapt. Is it, and sorry, think... sorry, Serge, is it, is it a fast-growing industry, though? Well, in terms or of the number of entrants, I'm not saying in terms of necessary, right. in terms of uh, sales or, or growth like if you look at, Yeah, like if you, look at the, if you look at the reports of Irish whiskey growing at the fastest rate, uh, like it's the fastest growing spirit in the world. Is it yeah. the fastest growing brand, or is it the fastest growing? So, I mean, the the whole industry isn't growing at that rate. No, no, like not everybody of, can grow the, at the same rate. No, but it's most of the most of the uh, most of the smaller brands are producing more white liquid for yeah. foggy gin than they actually are a whiskey because the opportunity yeah. isn't there within whiskey. I, so yeah, I think. Like, and that's that's to play devil devil's advocate back onto you, but yeah, the, no. the industry the industry isn't like it's a pretty picture. I, I totally get that, and it's amazing 
And I work in Irish whiskey and I'm, I'm proud of where Irish whiskey has gone. But we also need to probably have a bit of an eye opener as well that Irish whiskey, premium Irish whiskey, isn't grown as fast as blended Irish whiskey. So yeah. for 40 distilleries or whatever it is now, 39 or 39 or 40 distilleries to survive, and as Dahi said, 200 brands, we need yeah. to be focusing on premium. And, and again, Middleton have been doing this for the last last five, 10 years. They've been putting a, a big focus on producing a lot more premium products. But some of the big guys don't want to look at premium products. They're just focusing well, on Well, I mean, the smaller standard. distilleries, the smaller distilleries, as far as I can see it, they don't have the ability to come in at an entry level price because they don't have the economies of scale. They don't have the 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 liquid source liquid available immediately, and and so this is going to take some time, I think, for them to be able to tackle the really growing market, which would be the blended entry level mm. whiskies. But I mean, we'll we'll see where it develops. See yeah, it'd be interesting. But I, look, I mean, the markets are the markets are expanding, and I don't know how you see. Obviously, America is a big market, and we talk, we always talk about America being a huge market. Where else do you see the emerging markets? Yeah, like South Africa has grown incredible. Like even our domestic market, like our domestic market is is flying. Someone said in one of the comments is the COVID closure of pubs made a big impact on an ambassador's role. Of course, it has. They. Like they've, everything now has gone to online, but you can see things like this wouldn't have happened a year ago. So it's great. And if you look at this, will probably a uh, this will go out to thousands of people, and hopefully millions of people will listen to it. Uh, yeah. That's me being modest, uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's it's one of those things that things like this never happened before. So there's a plus side to to getting our brand message out there because of COVID. But the big thing that the pubs being closed is, is huge for brands, the smaller brands, because it was the local pubs and it was the uh, it was the uh, whiskey pubs that were kind of taking a lot of stock off off the smaller guys and obviously tourism as well. When you have twelve million visitors coming into Dublin every well, single year, it's a well. Look, uh, I wanted to talk to you about the pubs because uh, you you have been always have been a massive proponent of, of the Irish pub, and I know you're hugely uh, sympathetic with what the Irish pub is going through now at the moment, and no matter what sales you're getting online, uh, I don't think you, you'll ever really make up for what, what goes on in the Irish pub. And uh, th- this is a piece we did with you uh, four or five issues ago, where we went and visited Cronin's pub, and and I may as well publicly apologise to you that we never gave you the credit in the magazine for setting that up. So in public, I'll eat humble pie and apologise for that, but. That was a fantastic day out. It's, it's okay. I'll get my solicitors off, you know. Yeah. Uh, no, it's like, for me, it's this is, this is my favorite pub. If anyone's never been to it, it's, so the guy in the middle, the guy called Sean Cronin, he's like a industry legend. Uh, just he's, like he, he's, he's the bread and butter of the Irish whiskey industry. He's the guy that is selling premium whiskey. He's the guy that's trying to sell premium whiskey. And he's the guy that's trying to support everyone as much as he can. But he also knows that what the industry is and a, uh, but they own a pub in Crosshaven, uh, twenty-five minutes outside of Cork, and it's it's just one of the one of the best bars you'll you'll ever go to. Uh, so we decided that with uh, in my role in Beam that we a uh, we went to we went down to Crosshaven, and this is Dennis in the middle, which is a 
Yeah, Dennis which Cronin. is Sean's son. Uh, yeah. Dennis Cronin. We went down and we says, Frigate, why do we not do a freaking whiskey tasting in a boat? <laughs> Circling <laughs> the cool. waters. Yeah. And yeah, so we so we went out and a uh, we went out and done an incredible whiskey tasting and uh, yeah, had had the whole Cronin's family involved. Then we go back and just eat this amazing bit of fish that has caught oh. that morning. Uh, but yeah, these like, these are the pubs that you don't really get to see these things, and that's where the amazing thing is of a the I guess guy here. Like this is the, the amazing part is as a brand ambassador or a. The, these are the amazing moments. These are the moments where you meet people like Sean Cronin, and he's like he's been quite a he's been quite good to me over the years, a, like yeah. really good. And like there's a few as if I had kind of tip for a brand ambassador, it would always be like the reason you got the job is because the people who employed you thought you had a bit of a personality. Yeah. So a yeah. like take don't don't change your personality. But the other big thing is that don't don't be afraid to ask for a favor. And he's the type of guy that he went in and you asked him for a favor. So listen, excuse my French here, but the, the boss is breaking my balls here. Yeah, I need something here. Like he's yeah. the guy that would throw you. But there's there's other guys like Willie Hearn in the Palace. They have well, become, there you go. Like, this, is, you, uh... yeah, this, this is this is quite sad as well when you look at it because this is like, this is the institution of Irish whiskey. This is the place where tourists globally come from, and that's what like COVID has done to these pubs. And like, okay, COVID yeah. has done it, but like the pubs now have been closed four hundred days. I mean that's not. That's not COVID when supermarkets or other places are are nonstop open and uh, places like this can't can't open. Uh, and I think everyone like Tesco had a, an amazing bit of class there last week when they put out the all their social media platforms to get out and support the pubs and uh, yeah. which is incredible because like, the pubs are I would say Dublin like it does get twelve million visitors a year. Yeah, people don't come. <laughs> yeah, but people don't come to Ireland. For the green fields <laughs> and to see the cliffs of more. I mean, they might come, that's part of the journey, but what they're coming here is for that pub culture and that crack and the banter. And I remember myself and the other half, we were down in Galway and her, we went out with her father and he hadn't been in a pub in eight months because of COVID. Yeah. And just the look that when he got a pint of Guinness and just looking at it and just a, just sitting there looking at this amazing pint of Guinness and he's just Jesus, look at this. This is like, and he, but the excitement in his face that he, he got a pint of Guinness, a uh, which is I know. which is incredible. But yeah, as soon as soon as these pubs reopen and like in fairness, the Palace Bar has probably adapted as as quick as anyone, and they're trying to do different things. And uh, yeah, it's very like impressive this. as well that what they have done to adapt. I mean, it, obviously, yeah. um, the situation has forced them to play in new markets and the online market and doing the, you know, so you, you, you know, you have Dick Max, if you have the palace, you, you know, Thomas Connolly, you have, yeah. you have a lot of bars there doing offering, um, you know, samples out to, out to customers. But yeah, there's, uh, there's, there's loads of them like the sky and the ground are doing it as well. They obviously Dick Max, but yeah, there's loads, like in fairness before we kind of leave this picture, but there's, there's loads of these pubs that for me, if it wasn't people like Willie Hearn, you've, David Chalk, who a uh, part of the Chalk Group runs yeah. uh, the bank. I mean, like Alan Campbell, these guys, if, if they weren't in the industry and if they weren't the people that you could go to and say, here, listen, I need a favor, I probably wouldn't be working in the industry uh, now because yeah. they like they, they they are the backbone of what to hang. And it's it's great a uh, it's great advice for kind of any brand ambassador is that I mean, when you're in these pubs, it's it's difficult to get talking to the owner. 
But, yeah. if you but I think that's something you've done. You, you've always had a close relationship with with the with the bars, and I don't mean as a client. I I mean, uh, you know, you, you've always been very friendly with with all of them. I care. It's you don't. Uh, excuse my French again. You don't get anywhere by being a dick. Yeah. Uh, and you get found out quite quick. Uh, yeah. When you when you are you like you don't last a crack. The industry is is so small. Uh, and like it just goes to show how small it is when. Yeah, but I mean, is, there's there can be there can be concern about a bar, and and there can be real heartfelt, genuine concern and wishing for well-being for a bar. And I think uh, that's what you have in space, which is really refreshing. I think you know, I, I know yeah, a lot like, of the people are very enthusiastic and really passionate about bars, but, you know, yeah, to have probably, that one-to-one relationship is important. Okay, listen, this this life is about relationships and it's about friendships. And, like, obviously, myself and yourself have been friends the whole time I've been in the industry. And it's, like, we'll be friends for hopefully the next 20 years. Don't I, push it. Well, we'll have to give us a, for this. The, the Cronin <laughs> speech, I still haven't forgiven you. So we'll, we'll have second thoughts. We'll, we'll, set, we'll set that out of court. But yeah, it's hey, but it's it's yeah. So like this this industry is about friends, and like I'm I'm quite lucky as a like even Mark McLaughlin there. We when Mark started Celtic Whiskey Shop, it was a like he came in strong, Donny Gall accent, big bushy tail out. He was ready to ready to be it all around him, as you would say. But I'd say yeah. for the first six months, we probably hated each other. Then ever after, we've been we've been really good friends, and uh, he's yeah, I got the impression you were quite. Quite competitive with each other. Hey, okay. There's always competitiveness. Yeah, yeah. he's a. Oh, he's he's a. Mark's a keen runner, and a, I can try to do it at times. A, but it's a yeah. So there's a difference when I'm about five stone heavier than him. And <laughs> for a while, I was trying to be this five k, is five k run, and a couple of times I get close to it. But yeah, it's a the, the competitiveness. Yeah, uh, like it's it's just it's probably in my DNA. But like even sorry, they're just in the comments saying like Paulo Har has been a lifesaver for me. Yeah, like, Paulo Har is. Oh, he's like, a, yeah, a, yeah, I would classify him as a good friend as well. And like even when the guys were setting up the friend at hand, I had a kind of bit of a a couple of months off between leaving Baron Fitzwilliam and going to Suntory, and uh, I give these guys give these guys a hand to set up the uh, the friend at hand shop and. Yeah, it's a like they've they've done a like they've done an incredible job when they were setting up setting up the shop and a, like it's just a it is an institution to what they what they do. Like, yeah, yeah. I suppose we didn't mention Bittles Bar. I know that's another one of your favorites up north as well. Brenda Han. Yeah, I, if I if I had to pick a person, you know, I'd say probably. His personality probably represents me more than anyone in the industry. I'd say it's John Bittle. Like it's just an absolute savage pub, and he's always a he, he's always supported me as well. Like he used to come down and buy kind of rare collectible whiskey from me and my dad's in Celtic Whiskey Shop. And every time we're in a every time we're in Belfast, a, myself and the other half, we were always in. I always yeah. try and get in for a few pints, and he's he's great great guy to talk to, and a, just like he's done an incredible job. Small. Small family business as well, which is yeah. which, which is a pub I, I like going to. I like like going to kind of family well, run pubs. Say, it's, uh, it's got a charm about it. 
I mean, uh, when I was up in Belfast, I used to walk by his place early every morning and he would be there every morning, eight o'clock, sweeping outside the bar, getting it ready. You know, so much pride in in the upkeep. As as do most bartenders, you know, bar, yeah. bar owners. The huge pride in in what they own, and and uh, it's a fantastic work ethic. So like I remember, yeah, I remember Colin in the sea. I hope Willie doesn't mind me saying this, but I remember Colin saying, Willie, in the sense, I'm like, how are you keeping all this? And like, it was getting to him, and I was all, and you only realised that this this industry is a drug. And to these guys, it's even bigger. I mean, like, like say, even like said David Chalk, you would, every time you're in there for lunch, he's there. He takes his time yeah. to go out, have a good chat with you. But he's doing that to every single person in the building. It's mm-hmm. like hospitality is a drug. And it's the reason why these guys are successful is because the hospitality standards that they have is next to none. They, yeah. they're, uh, they're just incredible. But yeah, it is, it is a drug in uh, the industry. Industry and it's even service and it's a lifestyle. Unfortunately, yeah. it becomes a lifestyle. Like it does. It's I mean, you, you well, fit everything else in your life around it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, a huge commitment. And look, we've mentioned it many times in the show. Well, we really just hope they get back to some level of normality in in the very near future. But look, um, obviously, COVID has had an impact on on you. I, I'd imagine and your role over the last while, or has it been? A chance to take a breather, maybe, or not in a breather in the sense of the amount of work, but certainly the amount of travel. Yeah, like big time. It's like for me, like once I, I left Byron Fitzwilliam and there was an opportunity came up, and it was just before COVID had hit. It was about mm-hmm. eight months before COVID had really hit. And I had the opportunity to work with Centauri. Centauri were doing a direct route to market within Ireland. Say they were putting their alcohol brands, Jim Bean. Kilbegan, Connemara, uh, even teachers, less sexier brand. Uh, uh, Aftershock, even less sexier again, but they were putting them in, in house. And Ireland was the test market for Suntory Global. Like, anyone knows Suntory? Suntory is one of the biggest companies, just not drinks company in the world. Uh, yeah. And soft drinks company as well. If you think of in Japan alone, they, they released 500 different soft drinks every single year as MPD. Maybe only yeah. one or two of them will stick, but it becomes a hundred million business. Same thing if it does stick. So it's a the I had the opportunity to join the guys, and they they took all of the they took all of the beans and Tory brands into soft drinks business into Lucas Aid Ribena. And for me, it was a that was that was great. A, it was a really good learning curve to help the guys set up the brands within the market. But then COVID hit, and a, obviously we were still busy, a, but it was completely different way of working. You were working from home. And yeah. at the time I was key accounts in the on trade, but that soon changed to kind of helping everyone with off trade or doing other things or helping the guys get products listed in the likes of Tesco's and these uh, and the other big multiple retailers. And uh, it was it did it did become a little bit different. And yeah, there was no traveling and you were sitting you're sitting in the spare room. Uh, yeah. yeah, which to be honest, it was hard to get used to at the start. Uh, like it really was because when you are away so much and you're sitting in the house thinking to yourself, what am I doing? And yeah. I'm, I'll, I'll hold my hand up. I, I don't drink at home very rarely. Yeah. Before COVID, I didn't. Then there's probably only so much I could stick a Siobhan and there's only so much Siobhan could stick at me. So <laughs> alcohol kind of probably kicked in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's a, so yeah, I, I, I kind of missed that pub scene and 
miss being in the pub for like you would probably even see me occasionally in a Dublin pub sitting in the corner by myself, uh, yeah. just having a pint, not even doing anything, just listening to. I'm a real nosy git. Like I, I like listening to other people's, but well, it's not what I like listening to other people's conversations. I just zone in and listen to other people's conversation, which is which is probably a really bad habit, but uh, I'm sure it passes the date on it as well. But yeah, yeah so a uh, but once within that there was a. Like myself and Jardeth would be would be friends before I went to Acklinville and like obviously yeah. the next step for me was was going to Acklinville and they they yeah well let's talk Jardeth. about uh, let's let's talk about uh, the move to Acklinville. Firstly, what was your how did the opportunity come about and what was your reason to leave? What what was a successful hey. role in uh, Suntory? Yeah, and to be honest, it was a bit. Looking back now, it was a bit crazy to leave right. such a because uh, the the sky was the limit, and a, I get on quite well with everyone in the company from the top dog to a. So at the time, it was a good guy. I was working with a Jason Ford, and like I reported into him, and he was just really, really nice guy, great way about him. But then the top gaffer in the place is a guy called Mark Ahern, who again was just a proper decent, good guy, and yeah. you could see that there was within being. There was a career progression that was that, that was lined out within that company, but it was also I got on quite well with people within Beam International. A guy Carl Worm I get on quite well with, who's now he's, he's I think he's managing director of e-commerce for the world now within Beam right. Centauri. So yeah, there was a it probably built up a lot of friends domestically and internationally within Centauri. So there was a there was probably a good time to a for me to be in the company because it was going to go far. But I always, within my days in Barry Fitzwilliam, I worked uh, with Remy Quancho. Yeah. And I always had an affiliation and of or an, a passion more than, and I was always, after that, I was always kind of really enjoyed being associated with Brooke Laddie. Yeah. And I remember going over with a couple of guys from the industry, John, uh, who works in Celtic Whiskey Shop. He's actually now working for Perny Ricard and Michael Fogarty, a, who yeah. doesn't need an introduction. Everyone knows Michael. And a, we we went over to Brooklady Distilling School or Academy, Distilling School or Academy, whatever it was. And it was pretty much, you went through the whole process of everything of going to where their barley is, cutting peat, doing everything. But you're being on Isla and really understanding what Isla was. And when I went to... When I went to Cooley, I made a commitment when I left Celtic that I would only ever work with a distillery that could, you didn't have to tell lies. And you can yeah. be open and you can be transparent. And within Cooley, it was because everything they'd done was, they'd done it themselves. And then a, working with the other brands was was great. But for me, I always wanted to work with that farm distillery. And obviously, Brooklady just isn't all their products aren't farm distillery, but they have certain products that yeah. are. But I always said if I ever leave Suntory, probably the only company I'd want to work with is Acklinville or like or someone like Perner Ricard. Yeah. But obviously, the the opportunity never come to uh, to go into someone like Perner Ricard. Uh, and it was, but for me, it was Acklinville was a. Uh, was was a company because I like working with great whiskey, and obviously that's the kind of Pernod Ricard side where, like their brands are incredible. Some of the best whiskeys I've ever tried in my life, like just comes from that distillery, and it's like the has to be probably most 
rewarding job to, or probably the easiest job, I would say, selling these great liquids. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but myself and, as I was saying, myself and Jared play football together and uh, well, we try to play. Well, that was actually <laughs> funny you should mention that. I was speaking to Jarlath earlier today and I was saying, if there's only one question I should put to Stephen, what would it be? And he came back and he said, who's better at football, him or you? Uh, <laughs> so, uh, to, know, to know the thing, myself and Jarlath are quite similar, is that we go and we play for an hour and there's some really good footballers that we play with. But we give it 110%. And it's pretty much when you get into the car, none of your body can move because you've run that fast. Yeah. And where the likes of myself and himself were, if we were in the same team, we were never getting beat. And it wasn't because of <laughs> the skill set we had. It was more just because we didn't give up running. And we were kind of, maybe a bit of Manchester United on that. We'd probably be doing better than what we are now. But uh, yeah, and it was a, uh, like we're probably, they're probably different. He's and in fairness, he has about half half a foot on me, so he, he can yeah, run he's faster. Slightly taller, slightly <laughs> taller than you. Yeah, but, but yeah, he, he a, maybe has a couple of years on you as well. Yeah, yeah, he does. But more, sir, he can't be an experience. Yeah, well, that, well, that, well that's it. That's it. Yeah. Look, so let, that, let, let's talk about um, let's talk about the move to Eklenville then, and just talk a little bit about Eklenville itself. So I've got a few photos here, and. You know, people forget that Ecklenville has been around for close on eight years, you know, and the rest. And they obviously had huge success with their gin. Um, but just trying to put a Ecklenville distillery in context, for anybody that hasn't been there, it's set up in the Ards Peninsula up here uh, on, on the northeast coast. And it's a beautiful neck of the, the country that hasn't been exploited as as well as it should have been as a tourist place. But you know, there are some stunning scenery there. And I'm hoping the distillery visitor centre will attract more people there. Of course, there's, there's a lot more beyond that. But uh, this Port of Perry and, and the locks. And here and here's Ecklenville Distillery. I think this is a, an early photograph. Yeah, this is, um, this is a very early photograph. Not even the Ecklenville sign is up. No, uh, no Ecklenville sign and no bench outside. But Yeah, yeah. Like even like with with Ecklenville, it's, it's probably it's probably to go back to the start of how like, how I, I ended up in Ecklenville, and like it was obviously that connection with with Jarlath was kind of what kickstarted. But I remember meeting Shane four or five years ago at Whiskey Live and just having really good chat with him. And obviously Shane Braniff, a not many people know, but like he's been in the industry as long as most people. I mean, in the early two thousands, the guys. They had strength for goals. They were shipping as much fecking, uh, which I think is probably our best brand. I, I love yeah, our I just brand. Uh, that for the for the sensors, uh, fecking whiskey is is a brand of Irish yeah. whiskey that uh, yeah, quite successful so, in itself. Yeah, like the, the brand is quite successful, and it's a, it probably doesn't get the credit it probably deserves. But it's a a but again, we don't we very rarely fecking is fecking, and we like we talk about it in a completely different conversation away from kind of the other brands. So. I, yeah. I totally get that, but the like the lads have been in whiskey for a very long time, and they, they when I went up to to meet them, there was something completely different, different a different happening in Ecklenville, and like obviously this is an amazing photo of the Still House. A but when I went there and I was chatting to the lads, 
I thought, Jesus, there's so many people around, and this was at the height of COVID. Yeah. And the team was there making hand sanitizer. And at the at the time when when I was up there, there was a huge need for hand sanitizer in Northern Ireland. And uh, obviously this is Shane out in the field. Uh, yeah. So he's, Shane will always be proud to be a farmer's boy and uh, he comes and grows up in a farming family. But at the time there was a huge uh, there was a huge need for sanitizer in Ireland and there was a there was a few people that were really taking the biscuit and I think at the time five liters of hand sanitizer was like seventy five quid. No, I remember people were quoting. Yeah. And Acklinville at the time it was a it's, it's quite a close knit community, that part of the world. And they the a they just started making hand sanitizer for for local churches, for uh, local hospices. And all of a sudden, it just became a lot bigger because Ackenville carved the new pricing structure of what hand sanitizer should be. This, yeah. this is in the height of a pandemic. It's not about robbing people uh, of, of their money because of what a... Because... It's it's a necessity. I mean, and that's and that's what a lot of people were doing. And and for us at the well, I, I hate saying us because I wasn't there, but for the lads at the time, like mm. it, it was a big thing for sales or for the staff within the distillery because they could have been sitting at home. And the furlough scheme in Northern Ireland was eighty percent of their wages or eighty percent of their salary, and they could have been sitting at home not working at all. But they they went in. They worked ridiculous hours to make yeah. this hand sanitizer to support. And a lot of it was given away. A, like a lot of it was given to charity, and that, that was a part. Of, like that was a huge part of. Well, of I think a lot of I, that, Yeah, I mean, look, I've heard so many goodwill things about Shane Bannett, and you know, this next photograph, I'm actually surprised he even uh, allowed a photograph to be taken because he's just not one that likes the limelight, uh, and. It's 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 never been about him, the distillery, and you know his philanthropic nature is really probably not recognised out there as much as it should be. I, I know. Yeah, he's like Shane's a Shane's a very humble guy, like a, yeah. a really really humble, and a like obviously we're because of COVID reasons. Myself and Shane are kind of we're in the the manor house of Ackenville now. That's that's where our offices are. Uh, so I I get to work with him a lot closer and get to know him as a person a lot more and he uh, like he's he is exactly that he's just a quite humble normal guy is probably the way to explain it uh, yeah. but he's such an interesting guy he's a uh, like talking to him it's you can just a uh, you get to learn so much about him as well as a, as a person but like obviously he's a successful businessman in his own right as well and Acklinville I always think I always remember the saying that the late Oliver Hughes had who like it's again you you say and people who influence you within the industry and like when I was in Celtic Oliver would have went out of his way to had a lot of time for me and a and which which was great because I was quite young in the thing and he was obviously quite influential within the pub scene and then within the whiskey scene. Yeah. But a yeah he he would have been one of them. But for Shane it was a going back to that Oliver Hughes quote where he said a like He's investing what he's accumulated in his whole life to put into a distillery. He'll not see the benefit, but his kids will. And this is very much like Acklinville. I'm sure he's probably looking at me now. <laughs> saying, yeah, no, I don't know. We employed you to make sure we employed you to make sure that it hurries up a little bit quicker. But yeah, a uh, but yeah, he is a he's a, a 
great guy. And that's where, for me, going into Acklenville at the time, I probably could have went in earlier, but I don't think I was ready for them. And I don't think they had the products, a what they have now for, for me to go in. So yeah, it's a it's probably a good time and it's a good fit. And within Acklenville, they've, they've an incredible team. You've a obviously everyone knows Jarleth, who's our brand ambassador, but he's really our finance director. A, we don't we don't really when we talk about Jarleth, we just tell everyone he's our brand ambassador because we just say he's an accountant. It's easier. <laughs> yeah. Well it's boring. I mean <laughs> no one's gonna give him any credit. So yeah he's well, but then obviously we have Greg or we've Greg, who's part of the distilling team, and a uh, Graham, who who we all know who, who he is, but there is a lot of kind of unsung heroes there as well. We have Peter in the distillery, who pretty much he's a referee ninety percent of the time between everyone from killing each right. other. I'd say or between maybe Shane and Jarlath, a uh, but he like he pretty much makes everything tick. He he's at the center of everything. He's he's pretty much the Roy Keane of Man United. You you yeah. could say then. Obviously, you you know Anne-Marie. Uh, yep. Again, Anne-Marie, Suzanne and Claire are really, really important within the distillery and uh, from sales to marketing to everything. So there is a, there is a big team within Acronville, but there's it's, a, it's, a lot it's, of it's real, uh, Yeah, it's a big... Well, it's not a big, big team, like, but in certainly it's a very family atmosphere within there. And even when you go up, you know, you're gre- greeted with your cup of tea. And, you know, when the visitor centre was open, they were doing uh, sandwiches and tea and... Uh, yeah, I mean, but one thing that's not commonly known about uh, Ecclesville, I think, or not as commonly known as it should be, I think, is one important aspect of it is that it is very much a, a glass to, you know, a grain to glass distillery. So obviously here you see the farm and harvesting yeah. off the fields. Uh, I think, I'm not sure if that's the distillery in the background or warehouses, but that's yeah. harvesting on the on the fields there in the Irish Peninsula. Yeah, so this is this is the farm, and a like again going back to Shane as a farmer. A, that's the that's the background he came from. Jarlath comes from a background from a farming industry, a farming family. Yeah. A, but when when the lads done Ackenville, it was about producing products that were from the Irish Peninsula. Everything yeah. that leaves our distillery has touched the hands of someone in arts, which is, which is a great thing to say when. Our products are in global markets around the world. It's, yeah. it's great that they've brought it back. But with Actonville, the, the commitment that the last made was that every single grain of barley that goes into Actonville, Actonville products, so if that's Actonville single malt when it comes out, or Actonville pasta when it comes out. But even now, Actonville gin will 100% come from Shane's fields. Uh, so Shane owns the land that grew a, his cousin Michael runs a farm. So Michael Branagh runs a farm. Shane of owns the farms. Uh, on the so we I think we have around fifty acres of land where we grow the fields. On the Actonville estate itself, uh, Shane owns the distillery and the manor house and the grounds around the distillery. But at the back end of the distillery, a uh, Jarlow's brother runs the farm there. So a uh, once uh, once production gets up to a level where we need more fields, I'm sure that's a conversation that a. Uh, Everyone's going to be looking at Jarlath saying, listen, we need to buy farming land for Ecklenville Distillery. You own the farming land closest to the distillery. This is where we need the land. Uh, So there there has to be a tiny bit of lobbying done uh, on Jarlath's behalf to get get more land for us. Yeah, that's one of the things that when people talk about uh, fields for barley, 
They don't usually associate the Ards Peninsula with good growing conditions for barley, but it is, in fact, a, an excellent source yeah. of fantastic grain. Uh, yeah, big, we see the um, the mill, uh, the malting floors, which I think, if it's not unique, it's close to unique for any of the Irish distilleries. And of course, malting is is usually something that's outsourced. But you have your own malting floors. Uh, is it on yeah. site? No, so it's a few miles away from a from the distillery on on the farm. A, yeah. It would be great to have it on site if, if that was ever possible. But again, it's with the growth of the distillery, a at this time warehousing is probably more important. A and sure. as you can only imagine, sending a warehousing on a secure site is better than having having it on an unsecure farm. A yeah. so like the warehousing is is very very important to to the next phase of Ackermill Distillery. So we need more bonded warehouses. We need the maturing more stock a, for for the growth of our brands. So yeah, it's a few it's a few miles away, but as as you said, it it is unique. Uh, this is one of Shane's tanks. So, so I mean, it's, it's not every day you're going to go to a distillery and and um, come across a tank. And this isn't security. This is a, this is actually a Are real you, live tank uh, on the side. You think so that, a bit of a collector. Yeah, you think that, but we have Michael Kyman inside it. Oh dear. Okay. Well, <laughs> well, it's a good shot or not? That could go anywhere. Uh, yeah, so yeah, he's a, he's an avid collector of of a middle tree fecal, so tanks a, and yeah, he's a he does a he does enjoy them, which is great. And like that big one is sitting out on the distillery, and there's there's a couple in the sheds as well, which are which are incredible. Yeah, uh, yeah. I know Graham and Charlotte are, are really keen motorcyclists as well. Yeah, uh, I think does Graham uh, does Graham race them? Or he used to race them. Yeah, the Graham's Graham's huge into motorbikes, like a like there massive. He is there. Yeah, a, yeah. So he's like he's huge into 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 motorbikes, and it's a yeah. And even like the distillery has an association with a Glenn Irvin, who's a motorcyclist from up around Norway, and he uh, so he sponsors Hamlet with Dunvals and things like that. So yeah, there is like the guys are all quite big into motorbikes. Uh, there's the three of them. So the three there's musketeers the three. now. Yeah, people ask me the question. Someone says, "Why did you join Ackermill?" And you look at these three lads. And it's when I says, "Jesus, they need a good looking lad to come in, don't they?" Oh, is that what it was? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's exactly what it was. <laughs> so the, the, the five, I think. So yeah. that's a relatively old. But people forget the distillery is there. Uh, you know, eight years, um, which is quite yeah, long. So you haven't, as of yet. Now, I have to commend you on this, actually, because I think it is a big point. I mean, a lot of people say they won't release their whiskey until it's ready, but very few actually stick to it. And, and it's coming on eight years now, and you haven't been tempted to release your own in-house whiskey yet. Is there a philosophy behind that, or what's the thought process? Uh, yeah, like I think I think the big thing in Acklenville, and it's uh, everyone, like if you look at, these brands, like the Port Morant that uh, in the box there, like every yeah. single cast that the guys have released under Dunville's is just incredible quality. And when the guys took the Dunville's brand and uh, started releasing the Dunville's brand in 2012 again, like this is this is a brand that dates back to a, a Dunville's family association with alcohol dating back to 1808. And 
it's it's a brand that is synonymous with Belfast. Like we always say, there's three industries of Northern Ireland: weaving, a shipbuilding, and whiskey. And Dunvalls was the centre of what whiskey was in the world at the time. I think a I think there was something like fourteen million gallons of whiskey was made. Oh, it was one of the biggest and, for sure. Yeah, yeah, and two and a half million of those was made in Dunvalls. And yeah, uh, so when the lads got the up, the Dunvalls is already closed in nineteen thirty five or nineteen thirty six, and it was pretty much it was at the time it was one of the only I think it was the only distillery in Ireland that closed that was still profitable. It was just that there was no one the uh, the last kind of Dunvalls family member that could really run the place. Uh, passed away suddenly so the distillery was pretty much put into the hands of the directors and it was pretty much liquidated or it was a shut down essentially uh, straight after i think a few years of running it in 1931 he he died and in 1935 i think it was shut down so yeah it's it's something up with dunvals when the guys took it over they they didn't make a a commitment that everything they do is going to be really really high quality uh, and it's going to put (laughs) dunvals No, but it's going to put Dunvalls on the map for being great quality products. And that that, that was the big thing that, that that was the big commitment that they done when they got the brand, that they were going to, they were going to put Dunvalls, but more importantly, Northern Ireland whiskey back on the map for yeah. being a, a high, high quality products. And with Acklinville Spirit itself, they... They've also made that commitment that they're not going to release a product until it's perfect. Yeah. Uh, they're not going to release a product until it's high quality. And I think uh, I think it's probably bad to release a three or four year old whiskey that's not high quality. And mm-hmm. uh, and for us with Acklinville, there there is that story around terroir. Uh, and uh, like we we probably don't really talk about it. Uh, well, that's, that's the thing. I mean, terroir has become very topical i suppose in the last couple of years but it's been something that you've built into the distillery from day one yeah, i think it's i think the whole thing at tarwar it's, it's a bit ignorant to say that it's not there I, yeah. it's not it's a it's a really lack of understanding of what ireland as an island is i mean we have cattle in one field for a reason we have grow crops in another field for another reason they we have built going back generations we built our houses of the land, uh, we've lived off the land. Every everything yeah. is about the land, so everything is about terroir. So it's like it's a bit ignorant to say that it's not there for us. We we probably don't shout about it, but for us, we just want to release a high quality whiskey using the products from our thing, and uh, we don't want when these products come out that people say they're crap because uh, it's not it's not what we want. It's not it's not what the distillery is about. We want to release good products, and uh, instead of focusing on the barley, we want to focus on high quality barrels and high quality whiskey. Yeah. When do, when do we expect to see uh, a release purely of your own liquid? Uh, it's coming up to eight is, years now. So yeah, is it close guess, to being ready or it'll be ready when it's ready? I would have said it's going to be ready when it's ready. Uh, we're trying a lot of samples at the moment and there's a lot of casts that are that are great and we're transferring a lot into different woods uh, at the moment to put... Like, if you're putting them in the woods for finishing, you're not a million miles away. Uh, yeah. But I, I can't see it being this year, maybe the end of next year or the year after. So the end of 2022, 2023 would be would be my guess. But again, anything can happen. Uh, 
But we, I mean, like, if you, what you have released to date, and it has your own twist on it and your own finishes, they've been they've been lapped up and, and you know there's almost a scramble to go and get your new releases when they come out. But if we talk about a, a few releases that you have had so far, so obviously you had the the dumbbells blend, and then you had the the three crowns, which I think was yeah. probably one of the first peated whiskies for a very long time. I've got the three crowns here, and you were telling me it's got a a slightly different branding to what it used to have. Yeah, a like yeah. So I actually have one here as well. Yeah. So a I might as well have a glass of this. Well, we've that's what I'm thinking. Here for, we've been on here for an hour and 25 minutes, and I've been waiting on you to mention, shall we have a drink? Well, I was waiting on you, so there we go. We're gonna... as, a, as as they would say up around our way, have a yeah. tongue on me like Gandhi's flip-flop. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, you, you very kindly dropped by with some of these uh, earlier. Uh, so very safe way. Sure. Well, you know how tight I am. I, I never buy anything, but yeah. no. So, it, it just yeah, tastes really is... When it's not paper. Yeah. Brilliant. <laughs> yeah, so like with Dumbo Sweet Crowns, this is like if anyone has been in a Charlotte's tastings, like he's quite open in how uh, the kind of evolution of Dumbo Sweet Crowns. At the very start, they, they, what the guys were doing was using younger whiskies and using older whiskey. So they were trying to boost up the younger whiskey by using 15-year-old dollar also sherry cask whiskey. Yeah. Uh, which Jarlath would kind of always say uh, that it wasn't the best quality whiskey that they could have released at the time. Uh, where now the, the whole focus is on just actually doing what we do well in Donville's is using really, really high quality barrels for finishing. So we're blending three or four different whiskeys together uh, within three crowns. Uh, different ages were malt and grain, but different ages of malt and grain, blending them together to and um, finishing them off and, Really good all are also sherry casks to to really give it a give it this flavor. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, this is a, a you know for those that are afraid of trying a, a peated whiskey, this is a very approachable, quite a delicate. So this uh, peated yeah whiskey. this one this one is our peated one. So we have a peated one on top of this. So this is just our just our standard. Uh, then unless you have the peated, you might have the peated. I'm on the peated one here. Yeah. So for us a. Uh, oh no sorry go ahead yeah so for us the, like we released three different ones we released three crowns and we released three crowns peated uh, so I always I'm always a bit conscious when we say we like as if I was involved but <laughs> you really you really settled in yeah 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 I've, I've, I've been here five years now oh <laughs> you know, uh, yeah yeah, so uh, I am I'm a bit conscious when I say it because I, I don't like selling it. Say uh, so I promise that the next two whiskies uh, I've been involved in, we'll we'll try these. Hey, uh, can you please start producing more mares? Yeah. yeah, geez, if only if only wow. Mr. Dumble's mares now command ridiculous money. Uh, they're they're constantly they're constantly fetching big money. Yeah, thousands, thousands. No, yeah, so. The one I have actually, the one I have here is the is the standard. I have the peated somewhere as well, but this one, like it is delicate. This one, and yeah, this has been. So, what's the what's the composition of this one, and what's the pricing on this one? Yeah, so like it's under forty pounds, and I think it's around forty five euros. So 
It's a good, it's a good entry point into the market uh, for for three crowns and uh, for the premium side. So within Acklinville, everything was around the ten year old and the twelve year old. Really, but the problem was that so well, we had a Dunville's ten year old PX and Dunville's twelve year old PX. So the three crowns products were slotted in perfectly, as one yeah. was beaded and one wasn't, and uh, they were perfect for the market of what they needed. But kind of the the next product that we'll try is the one over your shoulder there, which is which is our new product. A uh, so kind yep. of sip on that, for, sip on that for a while, and we'll we'll uh, yeah, so we'll talk about, about this. this. So but before we talk about this, I want to talk about the the twelve year old PX, the Pedro Jimenez finished sherry. Um, I mean, fantastic whiskeys, really well acclaimed, won many awards, uh, reasonably priced for for the. Uh, and then the, quite a, a few single cask and cask strength versions of that emerged. And then I suppose it further developed and we had the 18-year-olds uh, and the Pablo Cartano finished rum. And I know there's a 20-year-old now as well. So those are all super high, high-end high whiskeys. Not super yeah. high-end price, but they are fantastic whiskeys. Um, yeah, and it's like with those... I always say whiskey, making a good whiskey is easy. Mm-hmm. Like it's not hard to make a good whiskey. Like it really isn't. It's quite simple. You buy good liquid and you put in good casks and you get good whiskey. It's not, yeah. it's not complicated. A, like it really isn't. The thing with a, the thing with what Shane and Jarlath are, and Graham are passionate about is getting the best barrels that we possibly can. That's the hard yeah. part. Like that, that's the difficult part of sourcing these barrels. But the lads have drawn up kind of great relationships with cast suppliers, a uh, for sherry casts, for uh, many different casks uh, that we have coming in at the moment. But yeah, they that's that is their that's what they believe in. And like both Jarlath and uh, Graham, they're huge, uh, the huge Glendronic buffs and they're huge sherry bomb buffs. So it yeah. probably a uh, it probably suits all them with these whiskies that are coming out. So when kind of when I went in, and like obviously when I was chatting with the lads, the when I went in, the like obviously my role is a the bread and butter part of it is a is selling, a looking after international markets with the rest of the team and trying to put as much dongles out there in the world as we possibly can. But the fun side of it, or I would always say the part time side of it, is is Helping the lads develop good whiskies and create good whiskies, and they and be a part of kind of all the new releases. So yeah, we've internally now we've kind of pretty much a good old team that uh, looks after everything from Chris and the warehouse to a uh, myself, Graham, a uh, myself, Graham and Greg, uh, and obviously Jarlath uh, looking after most of the casks, uh, most of the releases. So. Yeah, there is a there, there is a good team going on there now. But again, yeah, like I really do go back to that. It's not hard to produce a good whiskey. Well, look, um, I mean, I, I know I know the the rum casks that were used were extremely old and extremely uh, contributive to the to the whiskeys that you're replacing the eighteen year old uh, and and extremely expensive. Yeah, so the like the eighteen year old when the lads released it. I, they released a eighteen-year-old Port Morant, and Port Morant Estate is 
one of the rarest rums you'll ever get in your life. Uh, so they use this old style wooden pot still. Uh, and then yeah. once Port Moran closed, it transferred to the Coroni distillery. Now, I, as you said at the very start, uh, I'd be a bit of a collector. And obviously, even the whiskey market exploded, the Irish whiskey collector scene exploded. It was about finding a different edge and finding another, uh, another spirit because. There's just too many people in the Irish whiskey industry paying stupid money for products that are never going to make money. So for me, I just I probably wind down on collecting Irish whiskey. And it's just a shame because that's what my passion is. But I, I have a couple of good friends. I, I have one of the kind of best collectors I've ever heard of or ever seen. It's a guy called John Marner. Like his knowledge oh, yeah. is next, next, like next to none on yeah. global spirits. I guess this guy is a, like, he's a genius in these products. And he, he kind of got me into rum and kind of learned a lot from him about rum. And so now I would, I would collect rum and I have a few of these Coroni casks. Uh, not many of them, but they're they're going for crazy money now as well. But this yeah. famous pot still from Port Miranda State then went to Coroni. Then Coroni closed and now it's a diamond distillery, which is El Dorado. So it's a Guyana rum. A, the rum itself was matured in the barrels for 41 years. Like the rum itself cost you just ridiculous money like for a 41 oh. year old port you're paying like you're paying thousands yeah for that yes. so yeah it's a it's a bit of distilling history and shane used all his context to get to get these casks into the distillery which is which was great uh, yeah well i mean it really paid off and, and the box set that was created off that the original one well i mean second to none in terms of packaging and presentation but you know i know shane well enough to know that he doesn't do things by halves, you know. He, he no, really went full out on that. Yeah, he did, but he does for all our products. Like yeah. the Shane is incredible, and he works with a really good guy, Mark, uh, to design all our labels and design all of our brands. And he's very heavily, and that's but that's his passion. That's what he loves doing. Uh, yeah. He loves that side of the business. Uh, and uh, if we want to go on to eighteen oh eight, a which is a. This is, our, so this is a new arrival, so you can show us there uh, better. So, th yeah, so this was a kind of a surprise, came out uh, unexpectedly into the market. What was, and you, I know it's been described as a gateway product. So, what was yeah. the philosophy and the thought process around releasing this 1808? Yeah, so again, it goes back to what our biggest problem, a. The biggest problem within the whiskey market is that we were slowly becoming a luxury whiskey distillery, yeah. a, and which which was great because with that the guys worked really really hard and and even Kieran Graham and a Charlotte argue about releasing casks yeah. and just about just pandan like really really nitty gritty things that you wouldn't really not too many people would care about a, but yeah. that's. Their, their whole ethos behind that is about making sure that every single cast, single cast that they release is better than the one before, which becomes really hard when you're releasing really, really high quality whiskeys. That's the hard part about whiskey. Yeah. Uh, it's not hard to make a good whiskey, but it's hard to make one better than a good one. Uh, and that's that's the kind of where the likes of Kevin O'Garman is in, like he's in a world of his own. Uh, one of the best and one of the best in the world of what he does. He's uh, and, and then he comes to Billy Layton who uh, he, without a doubt, I feel is the best blender in the world 
uh, hands down. I don't think there is anyone better, and that's but that's what they that's what they do to produce these incredible incredible liquids. And with eighteen weight, the whole thing was that we've done the hard job and putting Dunvals back on the map and putting Dunvals in the hands of the the whiskey buffs and the whiskey nerds and getting at the recognition that Dunvals is a top quality brand with top quality liquid and at an affordable price point. And don't get me wrong, they are expensive, but if you drink whiskey of that quality, they are really, really good quality. They're really good value for what the quality that goes into into the 12-year-old cast drinks and some of the single casks. And the guys released the 12-year-old cast drink last February, so we're probably, what are we, 14 months ago. And it took like three hours to sell out and... Yeah, but a lot of those later. casks are the same. They just disappear. They, yeah, like so, well, that's that's it. It took three hours for the twelve-year-old to sell out, and ten months later, it took two minutes for a twenty-year-old single cask of three hundred bottles to sell out. So it was something that was just incredible uh, how how quick the how quick the sell out. But again, it's it's of high quality. But the thing for a like the lads would say, this is obviously <laughs> for me coming into the distillery, I needed a product like 18 weight the yeah. like the other products they aren't a they're so easy to sell a yes. where this one is about us kind of getting out to the getting out to the global markets and selling to selling in volume a yeah but still at a like a premium price point it's still a, if we consider jemison is 30 euros and roi it's it's 38 euros for 18 weight so it's not ridiculously more expensive but again it's a it is uh, it is slightly premium, and yeah. for eighteen eighteen weight, if you look at the two brands behind you, in the VR and the Three Crowns, they were two yeah. original Dunvals brands from Royal Irish Distillers. There were two brands that the guys had brought out, uh, or that the original brands were already out, and the guys kind of uh, brought them back out again, uh, relaunched them. Where this one is the very first brand under the Dunvals portfolio that is Acklinville, essentially that is. 100% Acklinville's approach on Dunvals. Uh, so we could say that like, it was 100% uh, brought to life, essentially, by Acklinville. It was never on the market before. And the 1888 goes back to when the Dunville family started within the, the alcohol industry. And it's a, we, we say it's a modern blend. And Dunvals at the time were, like they had their first 60 years of their career within the whiskey industry of blending really good whiskies. Uh, so for us, it was a, it was about bringing a, it was about bringing the, the brand or bringing that kind of tradition back to back into Dunvals, yeah. and a so it's a blend of malt grain and pot still. And the unique part of this is, and I'm, I'm really proud for like when we were working on this, and it was it was probably the first and second and second and first whiskey between this and probably the last one we might have a. A sneaky try off if we have time to 20 year old 17 17 uh, but these were the first two whiskies that kind of really had a had a good help in hand on a from liquid to everything that's that's in the bottle to the puddle out when i went into dunville's and went into acklinville and a yeah so the good thing about this is that it does have a tiny bit of acklinville spirit in it so the yeah. pot still component that we use is acklinville a which for me, I think is amazing. We try Ackenville Spirit so, every day. Yeah, so ahead. it's a blend of uh, postil, grain, and single malt. But you were telling me earlier, it's quite a significant percentage of malt in this. 
Pro. Yeah, so like like we're kind of 70-30 of malt and grain. We're kind of sometimes it's a they get the blend right, it could be a couple of percent more. A, and so obviously that's the, the art of a Graham as well, is trying to consistently make this the same for every single market. Mm-hmm. So at every single batch. So like sometimes there would be more in it. And for us, it's like uh, the color is all natural. We don't we don't put caramel into it. Uh, yeah, I mean, we were talking we, about this earlier. Uh, I, I spoke to, I think you're earlier. There are two batches of this. This is a second batch of, uh, and this one seems a little bit darker than the first. I, well, is there two batches? <laughs> uh, well, that's the other thing. There's definitely two different colored caps. Uh, yeah. yeah, so you've, uh, yeah, the first one came out and it was, uh, we, well, let's just talk about this one. Let's talk yes. about the first one. So there's, there's a, there was about a thousand, two thousand bottles put out of grey caps uh, yeah. that are in a, the ROI market. So they're kind of in the supermarkets at the moment. Uh, and there's, there's actually not that many of them out there now. So they're probably the one that will be the collector's item in the 1808. Uh, but yeah. for this one, it, it's, we don't want to use caramel. And it's a distillery that we, we don't want to use it. And it's not, yeah. it's not what we have anything against caramel. We just, we just don't want to use it. A, yeah. within our product. So this is really going down to that really good wood management to ensure that the, the colour of the barrels or the colour of the liquid is influenced by the barrels. So yeah, it's a as you even as you can see from your bottle, it's like it's a it's a lot darker than a so there's virgin just standard. Virgin American oak used for this as well. Yes here we go. Obviously you're a We've been around the whiskey block a while, so you know if you're not using caramel, you're using some sort of barrel to darken it down. So yeah, there's a we're using American, a heavily charred American oak to a, to get that influence of color, but also the flavor. But for me, the best thing about this liquid is that kind of lovely singy spiciness to it at the end, and and that's what Acklandville adds to it. Acklandville, we we drink Acklandville quite regularly in the distillery, and we're constantly always trying it and seeing what 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 we can do to change the liquid as well for batches that are going to be released in 10 years and or 20 years or 30 years so for this one it was a we, we wanted to add that kind of we call it a modern blend a, yeah. we wanted to add that modern twist of what the Irish whiskey market is now and Irish whiskey now is is quite spicy, what is spicy to, but there's, there's a nice depth in this you know there's a nice depth of flavor in it and there is that spice there is that clove and definitely the vanilla and citrus notes are there uh, citrus Orange peel, I'd say as well. Mm. But uh, yeah, no, it, it's very. I mean, I didn't expect that. Now this is my first shot at this one, and I, I have to say, I do like it. Yeah, it's like for us, it's this is the difficult part as well because we're creating a whiskey that's for the masses. We're not creating mm-hmm. whiskey for the likes of Belfast Whiskey Club or our Whiskey Society or the, the people who attend these who are drinking really, really old whiskey all the time. We're creating a whiskey that you can go into the Duke of York or the Palace Bar or the Bank Bar or Cronin's or Dick Max or Sky in the Ground. You can go into all these bars and just have a whiskey and enjoy it or have a whiskey and a pint and enjoy it or have a whiskey and ginger ale and enjoy it. We we wanted a whiskey that was quite versatile. And and this is the... When I said earlier, when the 20-year-old and the 18-year-old, these whiskeys are easy. Like, they're easy to create. 1808... The arguments that myself, Jonathan Graham have had, like, and it's been pretty much like there's at uh, sometimes, like, and Graham is the toughest job because he's to blend it and he's to constantly talk about it. 
A, yeah. So he's a he's a he's absolutely hateless. <laughs> when right. we said we need we need to change because we probably went through maybe 15, 20 different blends to get to where we are now. But we're quite yeah. we're quite happy where it is now, and it's it, it is a product that a a whiskey connoisseur can enjoy in the in, no, I, in the pubs. And I have to say, I really like the branding of it, and I'm really. I'm delighted that you kept away from the coloring because I, I know there is this perception, particularly in the States, that the darker it is, the better it is and all that. But you refrained from adding color and you've gone down the use inversion and heavily charged cast, which yeah. is the other commendable. Side, the other side as well, Sergeant, it's, it's, it's a tough part because the best way to create a brand is listen to your consumer. Yeah, And the consumer is the person that's going to buy the brand. A, it's not me, Jarlath, Graham, Peter, Claire, Suzanne, Anne Marie, or yourself. It's yeah. not. It's not us. We're like so when we're designing a brand that we like, it's mm-hmm. it's probably not the best approach to take. We need we need to design a brand that the consumer wants and the consumer needs. So I totally understand that the, the darker whiskey is what the American market wants, and you're yeah. you're totally right because if you look at the, the whiskeys that they're used to, they're native whiskey. Yeah. They don't use color, and they're all really dark because they're using fresh American oak. Well, and have to, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So that's like that's where the color influence comes from. But that's what they're used to doing. So for us, we we kind of have to be somewhere in the middle between that as well. And we we uh, we want to create a brand that that the consumer wants. And to be honest, if the consumer doesn't like it, it doesn't sell. So we're we are distillery that we uh, and I know Jared probably more than me. When he takes a lot to a lot of this, uh, not to heart, but he takes a lot of it on board. When when we actually when we do get criticism of even our single release, our single cast releases, and someone doesn't get one because when when they were building the brand, it was about it was about getting Donvilles everywhere and getting getting it into everyone's hand. So yeah, it's a when we when we do get kind of some bad reviews, it does it, it it does make us think about how can we make this better and what exactly does a consumer want. And that's, that's the only way to build a brand. But is it very difficult to go from producing super premium whiskey that's 18, 20 years of age, aged in expensive casks, to go now and introduce something at the, as you say, as at the gateway level? Hey, yeah, it is in, in a way because, again, you have to produce a lot more to make the same amount of money. Yes. is, is yeah. one way and it's a lot more difficult uh, and it's a lot more time consuming uh, there's a lot more time put into it to a uh, there's there's a lot more time put into it to actually a uh, to sell these brands but again sure. it's enjoyable and like this year we'll break like we'll break into south africa uh, we have a really good distributor lined up for china a uh, where some go out to austria a will break into France, a for the whole of France. So yeah, there's like this product is going to open a lot of doors for us. And yeah. our other gin brands, like we have incredible gin brands and, and weavers in Ecklandville. Obviously, we make Jawbox, which is one of the one of the best gin Irish gin brands in the market. A yeah. it's just an, an incredible brand. So yeah, we we do have a, a with these we we huge put, fans. And uh, you do the putching as well, don't you? Yeah, so we make Bon Pochin with Dave Mulligan. Obviously, Dave Mulligan is a is a, a proud owner. Of, yeah, a proud owner of Bon, and he's like this guy is this guy is what's when you look at a category like Pochin, mm-hmm. 
he he is the punching category. He is the industry. He's he's the foremost uh, most educated guy on on punching. Like he's an absolute genius. A uh, it's it's a it's an incredible job for him. And like it's for us to make bond. It, it is that labor of love in a way because it, yeah. it's a very difficult product. It's a very difficult product to make, but we want to make it how Dave wants it made. Yeah, and that tradition. So yeah, we we do make a lot of a lot of different products, which is great. And even a well, listen, you were very kind to come by today with, with um, the eighteen oh eight, and actually, I'm really, I'm actually really impressed with it at the price point because, uh, and not to be negative, but I did try the earlier version, and I think this is considerably better. And I know it's you know. It's something that will probably progress and maybe even improve in further batches, but an excellent whiskey. Um, yeah, like it, the, the thing even with just like before we finish on 18 weight, 18 weight is a is the is the one that we uh, like. We're going to have a lot of fun with 18 weight. We have a lot of yeah. gas led down with 18 weight liquid in it, a lot of versatility, a lot of uh, common with it. And so there's a lot of there's a lot that we can do with. We can kind of. They bend the brand a lot and put it into many different barrels and put it into many oh, different is that markets. The plan is, is that the plan to have different finishes on that 1808? Listen, for 1808, it's it's fun. Like yeah. it's, it's as much fun as we possibly can have. And if, if the consumer wants it, like we'll put it into a market. And yeah, it's yeah. like if 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 <laughs> if it was a if there's a barrel out there that holds whiskey, a You'll have a look we at want it. 18 weight in it. Yeah, and it's like that's 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 kind of the, the fun project that's gonna come up with 18 weight. So like over the kind of the next 12 to 24 months, definitely, definitely look out for that as well. Yeah, it's certainly it's certainly labeled and bottled as a as a premium well, well above the 38 euro that uh, or 40 yeah. euro or whatever it is it costs. But you, you were very kind and you came by with uh, an 18 year old and a 20 year old and and I'm not having a go at your Etten, but you know, if we compare the size of what you came with both, I think there's something. Now, luckily, yes. I my, luckily I do have my own 18 year old, which I was very fortunate to get from the. Yeah, you were. Um, I, didn't, I didn't. I didn't see you sharing that with me. No, no. Yeah. You, you, you well, COVID, I couldn't let you in. So. Yeah, but, of course. Yeah, that 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 old, that old chestnut. Yeah, but look, I'm gonna yeah, so, I'm gonna go for this port morant um, and and a sample of that. And you know, I've tasted it several times before, and fantastic. And yeah, just the color of it alone. Let me empty my other glass before I. Any, like there's, there's still, I'm gonna I'm gonna have the seventeen seventeen and a. You're going Jared to the twenty year old. Yeah, Jared, Jared always says the best whiskey. Arkenville has ever produced is the 18 year old Port Morant. Yeah, well, and Wiley's, Wiley's a he, he's not, but while on the I think the 1717 is the best that we've ever produced, and I just think the the techniques that went into it as well a, was just incredible. But for while you're drinking the, the Port Morant, we sure we might as well talk about it. It's like this this is the cast that a 41 year old Romans. They, there isn't there actually isn't that much of it left uh, which is when when it was released it was probably it got a lot of criticism because of the price but 
Like I think how the Irish whiskey industry is now, I like. If it people, came out like, again as a new release, it wouldn't have a problem with the price. You know, if it was I, re-released at that price. No, like so, probably not. But again, it's not a. Okay, you learn from your mistakes, and like it's not what it was a mistake because it's it's sold and people there's still a huge demand for it. So I don't. It's probably wrong to say it was a mistake, but yeah, it's a it's a. But again, the thing that I know it bugs me at at, at a a the like even <laughs> Jarrett is there now, so my mind with P's and Q's here now. <laughs> a, but yeah. even a, even with a, yeah, he's what's easy go mad there. He's not that old. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a, uh, no, but it's a the with the with the port run, more people were fixated on the price and not on the quality of the liquid. And the liquid yeah. is sensational and like those kind of eighteen year old county Louth double distilled whiskies that I worked with for many a years, they're some of the best whiskies in the whiskey market. They're just absolutely sensational. A uh, and when you do put a really good strong finish onto them with a really good cask, like the I just love when Whiskey from this distillery at this age just gets this lovely tropical fruitiness. But then when you put that kind of rum into it, where all that kind of... Uh, I don't think it's jumping under the glass. I mean, uh, what I love is the fruitiness and, and the, the spice, but also I love there's a mustiness as well in this. And I just love yeah, it. There this is, is a, an old style, you know, heavy, bold whiskey that... You know, at a cast strength, it's drinking as easy as the forty percent. To be honest with you, yeah, um, I think it's, I think it's John John Cashman describes a that County Life Distillery double distilled. Mm-hmm. A, like I think he just which he used to work for as well. I think he describes those whiskies of a like Starburst when you get yep. at that age level of whiskies that when you open up a packet of Starburst, you just have all these different tropical fruits, this bouquet of tropical fruits that within the whiskey. And, and this does, yeah. but then again, if you think of that kind of musty, big boldness that, that you're getting. Yeah. I, I remember that, that the cask is, the cask held whiskey for 41 years. Yeah. A, or this rum. Is, which is, or rum, sorry, for 41 years, which is just, it's just incredible. Yeah. A, so, yeah. I have to say, you know, and, I'm not picking favorites among any brand, but I really do love this one. Um, it's just bold. There is a sweetness to it, but there's a there's a, there's a bite to it as well, uh, and I won't say a sourness, but there is that edge. But it's just balanced perfectly, you know. Yeah, no, the like the are there, uh, like it's just an incredible whiskey. And I like I've tried it a few times, and the first time I tried it, I liked it then, but it's. It's such a difficult whiskey because, and the other side of it, this market isn't used to drinking rums like that. They, yes. That are the Port Morant rum and that kind of. Like I always think that, that the taste of them is that when you when you have a bit of plastic and you take the cellophane off the plastic, that gluey taste and that's mm. or that smell you get on it. That's that's what these rums taste like. And like yeah. I, I've been lucky enough to try a try some of these over the years, and I actually. Jarrett let me try. He had a tiny bit of the Port Morant. So I tried tried a tiny bit of that and a, of the 41-year-old. And it's just, like, it's just distilling history. Like, it's just a legacy. That, well, I think that's, a, that's part of it as well. There's no doubt when you open the, the box and you have that rum sample in it, 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 you just feel very privileged to be able to... Has there, yeah, has there ever been another whiskey released in the world? That has mm. had the exact same liquid side by side 
I mean, is there, I mean, within the one package, like obviously there's, we were talking about, there's obviously the beer barrel releases and stuff like that, where, oh, well, yeah, has there ever been something like that? Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, that was, you know, and I know, I mean, I know that rum sample was very expensive as well. I'm going to, I'm going to quickly move on to the 20, just because I'm looking at it here and I've never tried this before, but this is deeper, more amber color. Than the uh, so tell us a little bit about yeah. this. Obviously, this is I'm the actually, I, is I doing myself that. A, Yeah, I poured myself a tiny bit, but I'm going to pour myself another tiny bit because these uh, these 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 whiskies are are incredible. And since you made me wait an hour and a half before we could have a drink, say, look, you know, obviously the bottles shrunk in the in the travel coming down, but nonetheless they're very appreciated. But um, yeah, I have to uh, make sure you pay the excise on it as well. I'll drop I, that invoice down to you. I've been a very good client of Eklundville, I have to say. But, um, yeah, so, so look, this, these, is, uh, this is, the colour is the first thing that strikes me about this. Yeah, so the thing, it, it was originally, so it's obviously double distilled from that distillery I used to work in. And yeah. it was matured in bourbon, then it was transferred. And like, if you think of a Turconnell 16-year-old, it's one of the best whiskies on the on the market for Irish whiskey. It was like, just the bourbon cask is just sensational how good it is. So it's yeah. essentially a this whiskey and it's transferred into Oloroso barrels. And Jonathan Graham made a decision to take it out of Oloroso and put it into PX. Mm-hmm. So a, there's a few of the barrels that, a, that there's a few kind of cool things happening over the next couple of months that you might see a sister cask of this or a similar barrel to this that comes out into trade a, over the next couple of months. A, so there is, there's definitely something that's that's going to happen with this with this cast sister, yeah. a or close close neighbor, could you say? A but they made the they took the decision to take it out all around and put it into PX, and that's where that kind of even deeper color comes with PX. But I can remember Charlie saying that after the first six weeks, a the cast was just flying, a but then it kind of dipped. So yeah. when I when I came to the distillery, the, the cask was actually in the a still house. And yeah. as you know, like our still house is, is all glass, so it's a lot warmer. A, yeah. And the bad thing about Ecklandville is that the, it never really gets warm. It never really gets cold. It's yeah. quite consistent. So if you're if you're talking about maturation, it's very hard to trigger maturation because in the summertime, it doesn't get really, really warm. So maturation is speeding up. And in the wintertime, it doesn't really get really cold. So it's just that kind of consistent the whole way through. So they took it out and they put it up in the still house, and this obviously triggered maturation to go a lot faster because it's a lot warmer. And with this, it was just absolutely incredible. And we were we were talking about whiskies to release, and we have a we have probably the most famous cask that we have in the distillery is a, I think it's one six two, which is a Oloroso cask, and they it's a it's still in in the distillery now. But the problem with that is that it's it was always the best cast that we had in the distillery. So right. the lads were taking it to every single whiskey show, we're tasting around the country oh. and letting everyone try it. So now there's kind of only 140 bottles or whatever there is. So we couldn't release that at Christmas because the cask was far too small. So we kind of had that problem where what are we going to do? Yeah. Like we need to release a whiskey here. So I asked Chris to pull a sample from this cast that was up at the top and I remember sitting down and trying it and ringing jars to away and I was like, you've got this wrong. Like this whiskey is incredible, and give Graham a sample. He was like, "Yeah, amazing." 
And just over that kind of small length of time that it was in the still house and not warm, and it just brought the whiskey so much further. But now the uh, fruits are so pronounced, but even the uh, trying it and I tried it with Jarlath of what it was and to what it is now to before and after. And it's just yeah. incredible how uh, how the whiskey has changed. But, but this is, for me, I think this is, I kind of don't want to be biased because I can't, I think, but even if I didn't work for Ackland Bullet's Head, this is one of the best whiskeys that's on the Irish whiskey market. It's just sensational. Look, I've not been um, not been funny about it, but it's uh, the legs on this are phenomenal. I mean, they're really thick. But this is, you know, if there's such a thing between a, uh, if there's such thing as a cross between a red breast and a Tyrconnell, this kind of sits in that area. I don't know. It, it kind of takes a bit almost from both. Yeah, so the style, yeah, this this is a probably me coming into the team. This is this is the different side of like this is the type of whiskey I like. Mm-hmm. They obviously Jarlath and Graham love these types of whiskeys as well, but their style of whiskey is that really old all are also dryness types of whiskeys. Mm-hmm. Well, I think Jarlath is really, really loves that old style all are also dry whiskey. Yeah. I'm like that kind of Turconnell 16 fruity with a kind of lovely, nice fruity finish on it. And Graham is somewhere in the middle. So yeah. it's a, there's very much a, it's probably the only place in Northern Ireland where there's democracy when we're, oh, <laughs> in well, yeah. so yeah. when we're releasing whiskeys or when we're picking gas. So with this one, it was, it was kind of in the middle, but a, it was, it is one of those ones that it, it's exactly how you describe it. It is, it's, has all the lovely fruitiness, but it has yeah. that nice kind of all also dryness as well. And it's yeah, I just think uh, this is I actually, just think it's, it's special. Yeah, I mean, what's unusual about this is this is easier to drink than the rum one. Now, look, it's a fantastic. Uh, personally, my favorite is I love rum, so I love the mm-hmm. previous one. But this is incredibly easy and, uh, to drink. Yeah, and we, in fairness, we probably tried them the wrong way around because the rum is so aggressive and there's a lot more, like the rum cask is a lot more spirit driven, but this is a lot more delicate and just, yeah, it's the glorious thing I about these whiskeys. It's on the tongue. It, it really does. It kind of just floats mm. above your tongue. Yeah. The rum is full on and, and bold and musty, and this is more delicate, maybe even more yeah. rounded. You know? Yeah, the rum, the rum is one of those whiskeys that, you will try it a hundred times. Yeah. And it'll be different every single time. Like it's just, well, it gives you something different yeah. every single day. And in fairness, I think a lot of our older whiskeys are like that where you can continue to try them and they just get better and different and uh, are com- completely opposite to what you tried the first time, which is, yeah. I think is a great sign to, to a great whiskey. Uh, well, that, look, it's all promising. It's all very promising for the future, I would think, you know, in terms of, you know, how you treat your own spirit going forward. I'm sure you've learned so much from finishing in these various different casts and maturing in this cast that, it, you know, when it comes to releasing your own spirit, hopefully there will be a lot of lessons that have been learned and uh, we should get some cracking releases then. Yeah, like that's that's the plan. And we, like, again, it goes back to, we put a big emphasis on, top quality barrels and focus on top quality barrels and, and just yeah. like, and, like if I told you the figures that the lads spend on barrels you wouldn't believe it like they yeah. don't skimp on barrels it's is that 
the reason they get the best barrels is because like they're paying just stupid money for a for a for the for the casks. But again, this is the result you get, and that's that's I would rather drink a whiskey that is one hundred percent a and lives up to one hundred percent of its potential than live up to eighty percent of its potential because you didn't put it on a good barrel. Yeah. Yeah. No, look, I mean, they are fantastic whiskies. Uh, and the only thing is they disappear too quickly, you know, and then you find them on the secondary market at extra 30, 40%, which is, but look, that's the way the market is. Um, yeah, and, we can't, yeah, that's, that's something we can't control on it's, but unfortunately course, that yeah. is, that is the market and a, but, but actually, no, I'm honest with you, I, I didn't have high expectations of the 1808. I'll be honest with you. Um, and especially, you know, I, I, like I said, I did have a, a snip of the, the previous batch. And there's a big difference here, I think, between this and the last one. Um, and I do like, I really do, really do like it. But let's talk about the, what you've got in stock and what you've been working on. Because I know we did a, a seven sip series with with Fiona, and we worked with Graham and Jarlath very closely on uh, producing a uh, non-GI compliant whiskey at the time with oats and wheat and barley. Uh, are you going to be producing a lot more experimental whiskies going forward? Like, I hope so. Like, it's we're we're distillery that with the skies in limit. We we're versatile in, in what we can do. We're not we're not a mega distillery, but we're not a small distillery either. We're not tiny. A yeah. but yeah. So there's there's a lot we can be doing, and there's a this is obviously the like eighteen away, and a now we've pretty much completed the portfolio. And we can yeah. add more and more to the to the portfolio. Like what we have, a are kind of just above standard entry in eighteen and eight, and we have amazing whiskies and three crowns and three crowns peated. Then it leads into the kind of the premium. Then leads into the uh, ultra premium or luxury products. So now we have all that boxed off, and we have our gin brand weavers boxed off, and we have Eckenville gin, and uh, we have obviously the Fakken products as well. And mm-hmm. again, we have a uh, we we make Jawbox a. Uh, but we have all that done now, so there is there is that opportunity for us to to do things different. And like I don't the GI compliant part, like obviously that's all going to change. Like over a matter of time, it only takes a time for these things to change, and they will change because the market wants it to change. And as I said earlier, listen to the consumer. Absolutely, uh, if, yeah. If, if that's what they want, like the the technical file will change. But I think the technical file at the, at the time was put in place. For the right reasons, yeah. I, and if if I'm hundred percent, like if I'm honest, I don't think there was one query when the technical file was released. I don't think anyone objected to it. No, so, no, and, and look, probably nobody looked at it. Yeah, you know? like, but that's yeah. So it's I, like I think with yeah, I think with the with the technical file, yeah, it's it, it will change because like how how can we release the brands that we own the rights to? and mm-hmm. recreate the recipe and yeah, put it on the market and it's not exactly what it was yeah. that, it doesn't make sense so like obviously time will change time time will pass and these things will change and i mean they do it'd be great but again it's a it's it's better that there is some rules that yeah we're just not getting a three-year-old spirit matured in paint tins <laughs> yeah well look i mean i'm really encouraged about, about the, what the future is going to bring Particularly, I mean, Eckville were experimenting. They were very, uh, you were all very helpful there to help us produce that uh, 
unusual mash bill that Pionon came up with. And uh, I know there's a couple of others there in the in the pipeline there. But if we go back to your role, Stephen, and I suppose your role has changed from as it was a kind of a brand ambassador to international or global sales. How do you, how are you finding it? How have you settled in and what are the challenges yeah. that that you didn't expect as part I, of this role? Yeah, like in fairness, my like I was a brand ambassador five years ago. So in fairness, yeah. I'd say like I've I kind of worked with the biggest customers in Ireland and in, in a in sales over the last kind of five years. And like the big the big thing for us was our route to market in Ireland, our home market, and we we recently signed a good deal with a high spirits Ireland for the north and the south, and like it, it, it was big for the distillerium. Like myself and Jarliff, like it's put countless hours in to try and get this over the line, and it, it was something that a our brands probably suit their portfolio really well, and yeah. it was it was something like even to to get this deal is. Like I've known like George Roberts, who from High Spirits was a huge part of it. And I've known George for a long time within within the industry. And he's a like a and even before I kind of really got to know him, like mm-hmm. the guy's the guy's a gent and he like he I can remember having a conversation with him, just remember meeting him and uh, he said, Listen, and obviously you're in the kind of that start of your career or you're at the part where your career is kind of gonna take off or whatever it is and if you ever need any help or you ever have any questions, like here's my number, give me a shout. And that was something yeah. that that was kind of four or five years ago. And it was something I've always kind of kept quite close to him. And when I knew probably in the summertime, when I knew I was coming into a, I was most likely going to go into Eklundville, I approached him and straight away, he obviously said, listen, because in fairness, I work for Beam, he's Sazerac. So our brands were quite, uh, were in competition together. Yes. But we were always kind of remained friends and not, not that we wouldn't be friends, but uh, we always uh, remained industry friends. And uh, but I remember sitting down with him and saying, listen, this is happening. And mm-hmm. straight away, he just said, right, listen, let's get this to the next level. And that was it was something that he, the passion that he showed was, was definitely for us. And we, if I'm brutally honest, we didn't look at anyone else in Ireland or the North to, to check our brands. Uh, yes. We didn't. We didn't have a plan B. We didn't have a plan C. And thankfully for me, plan A worked because plan B and plan C could have been a. Well, Jesus, why, did I, why, why did I leave Centauri? <laughs> yeah, well, having but a plan yes. B and a plan C is like uh, a safety net that you know is there yeah. and it kind of propels you to kind of maybe not put the same effort in. But I mean, it's important because you know we followed the Dunbills story from the very beginning, and we're delighted to have worked with them and have met the team and, and see it flourish and and succeed, I think, not only amongst the connoisseurs, but, you know, as you said, at the Gateway products. Uh, but one thing that was lacking was the reach. So I couldn't easily go into a supermarket here in Dublin and go and find uh, a Dunville's whiskey. Now, hopefully, with the Eckerville brand, uh, with the high spirits distribution behind, that'll all change. Yeah, like for us, we needed like every single person we meet in any any market. I always say yeah. we need the right distributor because our brands are complicated, and yeah. I want every single my goal for the world of every single a 
every single market we go into that there's person that is talking about dongles as Jarlathas. They have yeah. that person and they believe in the brand and they want to believe in the brand. And obviously that's that's not always possible. <laughs> yeah. He's he's on a different he's on a different scale of a person. But even like the I want them to talk about how we talk about them or about how the rest of the people in the, the distillery talk about them. But also the brands are we put a lot of effort into creating the brands. And it's just yeah. not about putting a liquid in a bottle. There's there's actually a lot goes into creating that liquid and the the great cast that we use and the packaging and every like Dunville's eighteen weight. There's a story behind what it is. Like like everything yeah. I always think the, the best brands in the world, you can pick up a bottle and you don't need to talk to anyone. You can get everything from the bottle. And that's like eighteen weight is that. So for us we wanted to uh, we wanted to hook up with a team that that could do that and high spirits good because their staff are just on a different level to what a yeah. normal distribu- distribution company is. Most of them are kind of whiskey buffs. Uh, they have a great mix yeah. between male and male and female as well, which is yeah. which is great. And like obviously the industry is going a is going to a, is changing rapidly between males and females as well. And we've we have a great brand manager in there, a young girl called Neve who's like just really really passionate about what what we do, which is which is great. Now, hopefully, that adds a, a different dimension onto a to the girls that we have in the distillery as well, and, and Suzanne, Claire, and and a Amory, and especially Amory and Suzanne who work a, in our marketing side. So we can definitely we can definitely really uh, elevate that. But yeah, we needed we needed a company that could actually go into go in talk to you or talk to Willie Earn or talk to Dave Chop and actually mm-hmm. really explain what the products are. A, so yeah, like high sports. Well, hopefully, you've got that now. Like I said, like I said, I'm I'm looking at the labeling and I'm looking at the branding and I'm looking at the cork and you know, there's nothing short of premium on on the 1808. But one of the big successes I suppose you've had as well since you've joined is you've uh, managed to get distribution in the US as well with Total Wine. Yeah, so yeah, so huge. Shane, like in fairness, this is I guess it's not to do with me. I, ah, okay. Uh, yeah, so. It's, <laughs> so this is like uh, Total Wines has been our partner in the US for a long time, and Shane has a great relationship with Total Wines and Claire, a mm-hmm. who works in my team as well, a within the sales side. She, she's had an incredible relationship with them over the year, and she's between herself and Shane have really, really developed the, the Total Wines account. And a the guys really believe in in Dunvals, and like in fairness, they they took a big gamble in in, in our brands, and like it's a, it looks like it's. It's starting to pay off, or uh, it's definitely going in the right direction. Uh, yeah. So yeah, like Total, Total Wines is a like it's an important part of our business, and uh, to, well, even to be associated with Total Wines is like it, it just brings it's great for Dunvals, and it's, it's the same with being associated with High Spirits or being like when our South African distributor comes on board, being associated with them. It's just like it's just incredible. Uh, our Austrian well, distributor being to a, a Total Wines in the states, it's like walking into Super Value. But it's just dedicated to whiskey. They're probably bigger than super than a local super value. And, yeah, like, it's, like they're incredible. Yeah, they're just like they're pretty much trolleys for alcohol. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which yeah. is which 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 is incredible. And yeah, like for us, it's like it's really like it's an amazing for the brands to be there. But they just don't support eighteen weight. Like they they support three crowns. And if a if we a if the malt tires weren't there, we'd have a lot more. We'd have the malts in as well. Yeah, 
So hopefully oh, so on the next wild laptop actually, you have to... So that's one of the things I wanted to, to briefly touch on. And I won't keep you much longer, Stephen, because I know we only said a, a, an hour or an hour and a half. But that's okay. This is probably why I don't do these things, because I can't shut up. And I'll care. And no. it's, it's, it's great, Craig. Well, one quick question then. Uh, what challenges do you have as a distillery up north that others down here may not face? <sighs> Yeah, it's see, it's a it is a difficult one uh, to be honest, and it's like one side of my whole career I've worked in Dublin, and I wanted to like I'm very patriotic, I'm proud of where I'm from. I, I do come from a small town, and my whole family live in that small town. I, my dad's a painter, decorator. It's like we we don't come from the riches of distilleries or anything like that, and it's like so I'm really proud of where I'm from, and yeah. I always wanted go back to to Northern Ireland and a to, to work in a distillery but I needed to I needed to work in a distillery like Acneville and it, I probably needed a role that I could be involved in a lot of different things. Obviously primarily my, my passion is in sales and I enjoy sales. I like if you look at John Teeling he he gets a buzz from selling things and like and that's and that's probably similar to me. I, yeah. Like I, I get a buzz from breaking into new markets or get a buzz from doing good things within within sales. That's that's my passion. But my love is drinking whiskey and like it's another a it's it's kind of what I do. So it's great a it's great that a we we a someone just said there and you have Neil Lennon. He wouldn't be as famous as Ginger <laughs> as me now. Yeah, <laughs> that, <laughs> that, that would be Liam. Yep. Yeah, so it's a yeah. So where Neil Lennon grew up, it's about from the school I went to is about twenty yards from the school where his where his family right. grew up. So yeah, he's yeah. But yeah, it's a but yeah, it's like, to go back to the north. It's we to be honest, I don't think we care if, if I'm really honest. Like there is there is that north south divide. Like in anything, mm-hmm. it's not. I've worked in Dublin from 2010, and it's not the first time I've been told to f off home to where I'm from. I, yeah. And there will always be that north south divide, and that, that's that's just life. There, there always will be. But what we have going on in County Down, like we have, like as Brendan Cardy's here. I mean, if you if you start off at Newry, you have Brendan Cardy. We go up into Crossgar, Hinch. Yeah. We're looking at a. David Armstrong, who's a good friend of mine, who's an incredible distillery. Some great whiskeys coming out. He's between oh, him really and Fiona. Really looking forward. Really looking yeah, forward like, to what's going to come out of there. Between him and Fiona, they've like they've, they've put a lot of time and effort. And he actually joked that himself and Jarlath are the old lads in the industry now. <laughs> even though, even though a uh, they've, they've uh, we're actually Don't not that old as a distillery. Uh, but then you we've hinged there. If you, if you go over to the go over the Strangford Lock, went to a go into Dunvals. Yeah, so there's yeah. like there's there's great things happening within and it's 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 something that tourism and I and there is a like Peter in the distillery we were chatting about earlier, he's like this is where he's this is where he comes into his own and this is where he's so passionate about the like key. He, he wants to put these things on the map and he wants to put Acklinville on the map and he wants to do a he wants to do as much as he possibly could a to get to get he Dunnevilles or to get Acklinville on the map and he's he's quite heavily involved in these tourism but 
the thing that Peter's passionate about is that why can we not have a whiskey trail? Like Kentucky is an incredible whiskey trail, but like we don't, and I'm, I'm being brutally honest, people to want to work with North or South, that's grand, but I think as an industry together, yeah. it's 10 times better and 10 times stronger if we're promoting each other. And we're, because the thing is that when we go to Japan or we go to America or we go to Russia, we go to South Africa, we go to France, we go to the UK, we're, we're, promote, we're promoting Irish whiskey. So if you can't promote yourselves in your own market, then you're not promoting a, you're not promoting anything really. You're yeah. just criticizing your own products. So yeah, the, like that's the that's the good thing. That I hope I really do hope that we we all do work closer together and we start this trail within within County Town. And like, what's what's happening outside of that? To be honest, I don't I don't care. And there is, but there is that. Uh, there's not a we we're quite lucky that we have. We have someone that's been in the whiskey industry for a long time, and Shane, like Shane's yeah. been been in the whiskey industry as long as most people in in the whiskey industry here. But then you have another guy over in Derry, a behind a quiet man, Kieran Mulgrew, who's a good friend of ours, and like he's been in the yeah. industry for as as long as anyone, and he's done amazing things in the scene. He's done incredible things for growing Irish whiskey globally, yeah. but also putting Irish whiskey on the map, but also putting a Northern Ireland spirits on the map. So, like, there is an obviously Bushmills is Bushmills is Bushmills. They're they're a global brand. They've done incredible things. They, they, so yeah. But it's about it's about us now. It's working together and trying trying to actually grow Northern Ireland whiskey. And that's that's for me. That's the that's the glorious thing about it. And that's that's why I moved to a distillery in the north. Yeah. I, Do you get feelings that you that where you are now as well one of the one of the attractions is that you have a chance to make a bigger impact where you are maybe being a yeah, family like, run kind of business yeah it's it probably is like in the role i was previously in it, it was probably the company i was previously in was quite frustrating because they have so much versatility and what they can do and they just probably don't want to do it they yeah. are they like when you're up against some of the biggest brands in the world that's within your portfolio it doesn't really work where I I like the fight where a I, I like the fight that every bottle counts. A so yeah. it's a sign we get lost. Got On the way heavy loss to the, Yeah, it's <laughs> we're also in Northern Ireland. We don't want people coming in nicking our casks. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a I think that's the glorious thing about Eckernville as well. A, but obviously that'll change if there is a Tourism and the big thing about that stops Acknowledge from tourism is transport. Like a transport from there needs to be a transport system, and this is something well, that talk about government. That. Yeah, there was talk about it building up a, a bus service and a tourist coach service between Belfast and uh, the Irish Peninsula. It's certainly something that's needed. Yeah, the big thing if you think of like you get from like if you think of the distilleries in Belfast, if they do happen, like you start off in Belfast, you get on a bus. You get to the Arch Peninsula. You go into a, you come in and visit us. A, you go to, you get a bus to Portaferry. Get the, the yeah. boat over. You go to Hinch. You go to Sharkross. You go to Cologne, or then you get straight back up the M1 back into Belfast. Like that's a, that's not a tourist map. I don't know what is. Like it's yeah. and tur- tourism in Ireland is is massive and it's growing. Like what do we say? We have a million visitors visit a. A tourist attraction. The biggest tourist attraction in Ireland is Guinness. A yeah. so it's one point six million visitors a year. I think we have a, a million visitors go through tourist attractions for whiskey. A between yeah. north and south, 
I mean, if that, if that doesn't warrant investment, then I see yeah. pop it out there. Yeah. I don't but know I mean, what is. Like I, like I said, I mean, the R's, uh, a, a lot of uh, a lot of the tourism has been focused around the Antrim coast. It would be great to see the Ars Peninsula getting that kind of uh, that kind of coverage as well, because it it's it's unspoiled and uh, and unexplored really, and and hopefully that'll change. You know, I, I know there yeah, are people like it, working on it. Yeah, and I think like I think it is, and like on our side is like like we're for the kind of Strangford Lock Committee where a like Peter heads that up. Like we're the main company that's involved in it, and we like we're heavily. We're driving that as much as we possibly can to promote just just not whiskey, but promote small businesses, food businesses within the area. And I think it's yeah. it's okay when we when we have Game of Thrones and it gets a lot of American tourists, but and there's a couple of doors on the peninsula from what was in Game of Thrones. But it's a it, it's great if we actually if we actually start promoting all small businesses if we're all working together, just not just not whiskey industry, but if the food businesses are working with a distillery and it, it be, we become a bit of a destination within within the peninsula, similar to yeah. Dingle. Like if you look at Dingle, like they have the food festival every year. It's yeah. like Dingle is a, an incredible town uh, for what it is, and, and to be honest, it is a town, but it's yeah. incredible for tourism. Uh, and like Arch Peninsula can become that, and it can be led by people like a uh, like Acklinville who are who are bringing people to the area and just get more businesses, but more kind of collaborative working and more government support to actually get people to that part of the country because it isn't yeah. easy to get to. So we need a decent bus route that will bring people from, from Belfast down. Yeah. Well, look, I mean, I, I'm I'm excited about what's going to come out of Ecklenville. I'm excited what's going to come out of the north because there's a lot of activity. You know, there's there's rumours of a lot of distilleries in Belfast. You know, obviously you've got Cologne, you've got Hinch, you've got uh, Radham on a stage. you Bushmills reinvented themselves, if you like, uh, and there are other distilleries in the pipeline. Uh, so there's a lot of activity up there, and I suppose around the around the whole island, there's a lot of activity. Mm. Where do you see the future for yourself, uh, Stephen? And where do you see the future of Irish whiskey? Yes, Jesus, a tough one. <laughs> I hope will they, they, will they be in the same place. <laughs> to be honest, when I, I when I joined Acklinville, the reason I joined is the number one thing you have to figure out, can you work with people? Yeah. And when you go in, most people have been there for years. A, mm -hmm. a, Jarlath has been the FD in the company for, a, or sorry, the brand ambassador. We, we don't call him the, the financial director anymore a, when we're talking about whiskey, but like he's been he's been in the company for nearly 20 years and he still wakes up every day and he still is passionate. Like Peter, Claire and Suzanne have all been in the distillery for for a long period of time. So it's like for me, it's you have to figure can you work with the people that you are and and they're all great people. So for me, I can't see why like as I said at the very start, everything I do is quite calculated in my career. And yeah. I kind of took three or four roles before I left and went to went to beam and I didn't because I didn't think they were right for me. Uh, but this is for me. Like, I'd be happy if I stayed here for uh, for the rest of my career. I uh, definitely is so. But again, the the business is the business is growing, yeah. and there's going to be an opportunity to grow within it. And uh, yeah, so 
But again, well, it would be nice to see the. It'll be nice to see the and get the rewards of your efforts. Yeah, and it's like I won't say. Like for me, it's it's not as much. I I always say the reason why I went into sales was that if the Irish whiskey industry failed and it become a bit of a struggle that I could go work for Andrax or I could go work for Kleenex or I could go work for Johnson Johnson and I would have the skill set to work in any of these companies. I, so yeah, that was the like that was the reason why I left five years ago, left being a brand ambassador or, and went into kind of commercial side of the industry. And I, like that was the big reason. But now that like when I went into Eckenville, like think great things are happening here. Like Dunville's great things, like great things are happening within Dunville's, and uh, it's it's on the cusp of it. I think of exploding, and that's probably me being too ambitious. But yeah, no, I feel it. I have to say, there, you know, the product is there, the branding is there. It's just getting it out there now. Yeah, and it's yeah, and you the kind of the other side. You asked a you asked a good question. Where is the where do I feel the Irish whiskey industry is going? And again, I said it at the very start of this conversation. If our leading players in the industry aren't growing premium whiskey, just not domestically, think mm-hmm. domestically isn't the thing. We can't all support. The consumption of alcohol in Ireland is going down. People are drinking less. They don't get me wrong, they're drinking better. And the stats yes. are showing that. And they're they're drinking, they're drinking less alcohol and they're drinking better alcohol. That, that's yeah. great for us as a as an industry. Uh, and definitely Ackenville is a distillery that's incredible but if the big guys aren't growing premium whiskey in America they aren't growing premium whiskey in, a, a, in Australia New Zealand Russia. Africa South Africa Russia if they aren't France if they aren't growing all these brands or if they aren't growing their main brands a, internationally then there's no route for us to get into that yeah. into that market because we're at a premium price point so the industry is it's not a vital part, or it's not a vital point in the in the, in the kind of the resurgence of Irish whiskey. We've done it. We we're now a category again. Uh, Jemison has done an incredible job, and the people in Pernod have invested so much money in getting Jemison back uh, mm-hmm. to to what it is. Tullamore Jew has done a sensational job. I think they're now something like one point six million cases. First mills are on the path again to a to to getting back to to where they were. Uh, yeah. So every everyone is, and we have the most, we have the biggest drinks companies in the world that are in Ireland. But yeah. we need to be investing, and we need to be promoting single malt whiskey. We need promoting premium whiskey, and it's just not all about the uh, standard whiskey. That is because the problem you have with standard whiskey. If you look at Scotch whiskey, one of the biggest markets in the world for Scotch whiskey uh, is the UK. Yeah, and the retailers in the UK use blended Scotch whiskey as a loss leader. It's a bottle to get people into the shops. Yeah, and we can't have that happen to Irish whiskey. We can't we because us is a small distillery, just like the other thirty-five small distilleries in Ireland. It's we're excuse my friends, we're pissing against the wind if that's where the market goes because we can't compete and it's a race yeah. to the bottom. And that's yeah. and that's what's happened with when there's so much whiskey on the market. It is a race to the bottom, so we need we need the industry to grow, but we need the big guys to start growing the premium products. And, and in fairness, Middleton have been doing this for a long time. And like if you think of when we met and when I started the industry search, 
There yeah. wasn't that many premium products. But Very if you look at what's happening, yeah, but you look at what's happening now, like Middleton have a premium product coming out every couple of weeks uh, yeah. <laughs> at this rate. So I guess that's great. Uh, so once once those premium products... If you look at the growth figures, if you look at the growth figures, I mean, you, you see 10% growth at the at the standard level entry whiskies and the premium is growing at 50 plus percent almost, you know, in categories. Yeah, but like... Uh, I'm brutally honest if if you sell five bottles of spirits tomorrow yeah. and the next day you sell ten bottles, you're in a hundred percent growth. Of course. I mean, yeah, fifty percent no. growth. Yeah. Yeah, fifty percent growth of nothing yeah. isn't in like a fifty percent growth of a small figure. Like and this is the thing with stats. Stats yeah. are great until you actually delve into them and you actually look at them because mm-hmm. we we need fifty percent growth of two million cases, fifty yeah. percent growth of a million cases, or even like if we get to a million cases or two million cases of premium whiskey, and we're growing at five percent per year. I mean, that's incredible because it's like if you're growing at five percent per year and it's oh, it's a, huge. You're near like you're at pretty much a six figure growth per year. Like that's yeah. that's sustained five or six distilleries each year of growth. A, yeah. So it's yeah, that's like and that's where we that's where we need to get to and that's. But it it can happen, and there's there's great people within the within the Irish whiskey industry, and there's. I have to say, I think it's starting to happen, Stephen. I I I can see the momentum. Like if you look what, you know, the likes of Irish distillers have done with uh, Redbreast, and if you look at what Bushmills have done with their Causeway collection, and you know, you see other brands going at that higher level. It's definitely at that side, but you know, you still need an entry point. Yeah, no, no, you definitely do. And the, the entry point is where where we sell the product globally. But the entry point bursts the door down and gets you into the market. Yeah. But it's about when you're in the market, it's about rallying up the, the support for, and it's getting people in. And again, I don't want to be continue to talk about Jemison, but hey, but they they are the they are the the people at the, the top of the industry, and they're they're the people that are setting the strategies hey, because they have the pretty much dominance of market share within the industry. But they're the ones that's developing the industry. Like when they burst into America, like Kilbegan, when I worked for Kilbegan, they had a huge opportunity to go down the Kilbegan and ginger route. And they released a product called Two Gingers. Yeah. And that was hugely they, successful in the beginning. Yeah, it was. But within a couple of pubs and within the guy that was behind us, Kieran Flallard, who, who was pretty much behind it, but it was within one state essentially. But right. Okay. Instead of the guys actually going down the route of Jemison or Kilbegan and Ginger and just getting that in every single state of person Kilbegan and Ginger, like Jemison and Ginger did do. And yeah. like, you know, furnace, Jemison and Ginger is a great drink. <laughs> I mean, it is. It's oh, quite yeah, a nice actually. drink. And, and that's like, that's kind of our, like, ginger ale was invented in Belfast. Dunville's is the spirit of Belfast. Like, there's no better pairing than a, than a ginger ale and, and, and Dunville's 1808. And, I mean, if you if you want to put a me into it, it's, it's two gingers and a whiskey. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they, they haven't so, gone down that marketing route yet. No, at all. The, friggin, the, the marketing the marketing team just didn't. They need a bit of imagination there. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, so it's like, but even like if you think of Kilbegan at that time, they they got it wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, but, think, but then uh, again, Kilbegan. Sorry, like, when I say they got it wrong, Kilbegan's still one of the biggest 
Irish whiskey brands, and they've got so much. They've got so much right, and it's an incredible brand. But I think if they, if when they had that opportunity within America to explode Kilbegan and Ginger, it, it just goes to show if you get a strategy wrong, it, it can set you back. So where a we we a for us it is it is about finding those those right strategies, and within the markets, it's it is about growing them. Yeah. What about yourself, Stephen? I mean, when you're not dealing with um, whiskey and you're following useless uh, football teams like Man United, uh, <laughs> what, what, what keeps you? What are your hobbies? To be honest, I'm not really. I guess it's a thing. I'm not really an interesting guy. This <laughs> is the a a. It's a. It's. I know it you is. like your snooker <laughs> and your your horse racing. Yeah, so. I used to play a lot of snooker when I was younger, and like obviously I love horse racing. My one of my good mates, uh, Gaza Martin, uh, he owns a he owns a horse called You Jump the Last You Win. Uh, so it's quite it's quite a quite cleverly named. Uh, but uh, we like between myself and himself and one of my other mates, Chris McGee, and another mate Chaka, we uh, we kind of pretty much travel the world, going to some of these races to the Derby, to the Arc de Triomphe, to Epsom, but then a we, it's very hard to miss a, miss a big race, but big mate Godfrey, Godfrey Martin, we like we watch a watch a good bit of the race as well. So like most, most of my mates are into, into horse racing and kind of again coming from a small town when every second door is a bookies. Most yeah. people are into racing, so yeah, it, it is one of those ones. But like obviously, yeah, it's a horse racing. I love, uh, I love going to them, and I just I just think it's something. It's something. Well, you don't, you don't you don't back them. You just like watching them. No, yeah, it's it's probably too miserable. Yeah, <laughs> I probably hear. I probably spent too much money on whiskey. I can't afford it. Yeah, well, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> I'd say, yeah, yeah, but we've had a game of snooker as well, and uh, yeah, I, I enjoyed taking the balls out of the pockets for you. Thanks very much. Yeah, like it's it's probably not like that now. It's a the ice day probably isn't as good. It's, when I was younger, it was, I was okay, and it was like, it's a good yeah. good sport to play. It kind of kept me out of trouble and. I, that's kind of to be honest most of my mates that I grew up in well, all well, I'm, I'm still friends with I so I think it's great in that way well the worse my eyes I guess my, the better my snooker gets so yes. <laughs> you know, it's an oxymoron but you know. it's, it's always a, it's, it's like one of them months I don't yeah. play unless I have a couple of points yeah I know, <laughs> I know. well look Stephen uh, it's been a pleasure to have you on the show like I said you know, it's funny interviewing a friend because you know you, you want to get information out of them, and then you want to have a big catch up on on a chat as well. But look, I firstly I want to congratulate you on, and I can see the difference you've made in Ecklenville already since the short period you've jo- you joined. Uh, I want to thank you for always uh, being there to answer any questions I've had, either about collecting or about whiskey or what developments are happening. So, And you've been very supportive of what we do here on the magazine, even though, you know, it's not always easiest. But um, I, all I can do is wish you the very best of luck in, in your new career. I know you're going to make a success of it. Uh, I hope they... Yeah, it's... Okay, you, you horse, I think, you know, you've yeah. the right horse and where, you're, where you've gone. And I, I think you've always made good calls that way. And... Uh, okay, it's... Yeah, I think it is one of those ones. It's like I and I said at the very start, I I, I kind of don't do these things. And yeah. I always think I'm not I'm not really that interesting of a guy. So, I like one of one of my good friends, Mark. He's like Mark McLaughlin. He's he's an incredible speaker, and he's like he's 
really, really passionate and interesting. And, and he can he can just like he can really hold a conversation where me it's like I just rabbit hole glory anyway. and uh, no. so yeah no. but the, the the big thing is that we all like as you said there is like you measure success when and you can walk into every single bar in Dublin or Belfast or Paris and there's a dumbbells in it and that's when we measure success. Well that'll be that'll be a good measure. I'll say the same with the magazine. Whenever I can go into any store and see a magazine there I'll be I'll be delighted. But look all I can do is wish you the very best of luck, Stephen. And uh, uh, hopefully now when all this lockdown fiasco comes to an end, we'll be able to meet up uh, a bit more frequently. Because I know you go to a lot of the, you know, you go to a lot of the events, you know, with societies and things like that. So, and, yeah, and that's the, like, that's probably one that I think like if I was, if I had to go back and be a brand ambassador again, yeah, I would ensure that I went to every single tasting that I possibly could, because that's where you learn. And that's, well, where, I mean, that's where you get yeah. the knowledge from. T- yes. Tasting whiskey, like Belfast Whiskey Club, Celtic Whiskey Club. These yeah. these things they're just doing incredible tastings at, at decent prices, and you're learning from you're learning from industry experts, and they're full of industry people. Yeah. Just great. Well, they're, I mean, you you, you, you could be doing two tastings a night the way it's gone at the moment. There's so many oh, different so, tastings on. Yeah. Yeah, it's oh, it's incredible. Well, listen. Uh, I, I want to thank you. I want to thank you, Siobhan, for making you look presentable for the for the show tonight as well. So yeah, well, she's lighting so, and everything else. And yeah, so uh, she'll take credit for that now. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, look uh, again. Thank you very much for joining. As I said, um, when all this settles down, we'll be up and and visit you again. We do miss being there, and I know there's some great stuff uh, being produced there, and just looking to forward to trying it. So. Thank you for being a guest. Yeah. No I look forward to catching up with you again. Enjoy the Dunvals. I will do. Yeah. I'll, I'll enjoy those. Uh, actually, I still, I've still got that 18 in my head, though. But no, congratulations on the new products as well. The 1808 is, is punches well above its weight in terms of yeah, uh, price like, for sure. Yeah. You're getting even good. Just, yeah. Just, just before it goes, like 1808 is where we're going to have a lot of fun. Yeah. And it's kind of just, just watch this place for the next. Are we talking in the next, uh, in the short while or in the long term? Like over the next twelve to twenty-four months, there's a there's there's just incredible things going to be happening, and like for us, we 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 think we we think we're onto a winner with Teen Wit, and like it's just a sensational brand, and the liquid is good, and yeah, there's there's a when people are asking you to constantly work and you get it, you know you're onto something decent, and uh, yeah, it's a, yeah, I, I see is- I see a lot. Yeah, I see a lot of people writing in there just about thanks for a conversation. It's probably different from what this is probably why I don't do these conversations. They're they're completely well, different. I'm not I'm not very much a brand driven person and I'm more of an industry driven person. And I no, yeah, so well, our probably our, our marketing team will probably kill me tomorrow. I've missed probably so much that I've probably meant to say, but sure here. Well, I mean, uh, you know, I mean, the main reason we have our guests is, is is to talk about their personal views as opposed to necessarily brand. But of course, to give to give the brands a chance to showcase what they're what they're at as well. So, yeah. I think it's been a fascinating chat. I can't believe it, the two and a half hours have gone. Um, and uh, you know, for those people that have gone on maybe a little bit too long, I apologize. But just one of those things. I think a sign of a good conversation. So, I'll let you yeah. go, Stephen. And go and get no some dinner. Cheers, guys. Sponsor. Take care. See you again. Thank you. Cheers. Take care. Bye.
Look, uh, everybody, thank you very much for joining us. I, I really enjoyed that chat. Uh, I'm sorry if we've gone on too long, but, you know, there's just so much information and such an insight to get from Stephen. It's it's really worthwhile. So thank you very all very much. As I said, try and catch us on our social media platforms tomorrow. We have some very exciting news, and uh, we will chat to you next week. Take care. Thank you.